You can also introduce it. Oh, we have to do an intro. Uh, I mean, we don't really have time for one anyway. Yeah. Certainly don't have time to just sort of sit around not doing anything. No. God, if only we had any sort of rapport, Paul. We, you'd think there'd be one by now. Look, I can fake it for money, which <laughs> it's only, you know, it's that's they only pay me for the main body of the episode, so. Yeah. Mm. The intros cost extra and I'm not able, I'm not physically able to put up for that. So I think we're just going to have to stick to anti-comedy. We're going to have to resort to anti-comedy like oh, Stuart Lee dear. did when he realised he wasn't funny. Mm, that sounds about right. <laughs> My mum's really going to love this bit. Halloween episode. I just thought nope. I'd do that to be a bit spooky. <laughs> we got some horror. Yeah, yeah. I got you scared. Um, <laughs> I was pretty scared. <laughs> You're listening to Jen and the Film Critic, a Screen Mayhem podcast. My name is Jen Blundell, and with me, as always, is my film critic, Paul Salt. Say hello, Paul Salt. Hello, Paul Salt. Well done. You nailed it once again. Yeah. So, has anything yep. happened in the film world in London recently? Only a little bit. Probably a lot of very interesting independent stuff, but fuck all that. <laughs> Can't swear. <laughs> Never mind all that. There's been a massive film festival with galas and glitz and film stars. Glamour. Right. And you were there. Just mucking and things up And you were there. <laughs> and Malala was there and we nearly walked into her. So yeah, we did. It's all been... Yeah, yeah, it's all been very good. We walked in on her while she was speaking. Yeah, <laughs> and, it was very uh, cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was a wonderful moment. So. Yes, it is the, this is part two of our coverage of the London Film Festival, mm-hmm. titled The Festival. Oh. Because, uh, yes, on the, ooh, what date was it? It Was it the 5th? Wednesday the 5th, yes, Wednesday the 5th, the film festival started proper. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I have 23 films to talk about. Thirteen of which are getting all five dang stars, so it's been an incredible Wowie. run. You know what? Just really... list those five, those thirteen, <laughs> and we'll just deal with the others separately. We'll just, yeah, that's fine. Uh, it's an incredible ending for festival director Trisha Tuttle, who is leaving us now. Trisha she is hanging up her excellent boots. Mm. Um, she got a very long standing ovation um, oh, in that's the last nice. screening in Nice that's Out. Nice. So yeah. That was good stuff. Like cool. Daniel Craig must have been off stage, being like, "Wow, I love this check." Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> damn right we do. Oh yeah, uh, people there know who Trish Tuttle is, and they definitely Trish care Tuttle. about her more than about yeah. some <laughs> guy. I don't know. I think he played a spy once. Like, well, sometimes people. I don't know. I don't. I don't, I don't know. Austin Powers. Probably that was him. That was actually him. Mm. Yeah. So you know, people show up and are like, "Oh, Shagadelic" or whatever. But yeah. you know. 
Trisha Turtle. That's 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 for life. Trisha in her boots. Yeah. Trisha in boots. boots. Yep. Mm. It's going to be a pretty big set of boots to fill next year. Yeah. <sighs> Nevertheless, let's focus on this year. Mm. Let's talk opening gala. Okay. <sighs> let's talk Matilda the Musical. Matilda the Musical. Matilda the Musical, a big all singing, all dancing opening to the fest that feels like a million years ago now, really. <laughs> uh, this is an adaptation of the West End musical by Dennis Kelly and Tim Minchin. Dennis Kelly book, Tim Minchin songs. Have I got that right? What's I the guess. Book? I can't remember who the, what the book does. What? Huh? Dennis Kelly wrote it and then Tim Minchin did songs for it. Yeah, he'll have book being like, oh, I don't know. Let's like leave the word book long behind and hope that I... Yeah, because it's a Roald Dahl book originally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think there's also another usage of the word book, but I'm not I guess. I literally have no idea. I I thought maybe that meant like the words in the music, but that wouldn't make sense if Tim Minchin was... Mm. Oh, no. no. Unless Tim Minchin did the word... No, Tim Minchin does everything. Tim Minchin might have done the book. Anyway, um, it's written... Someone did a book. Someone, Screenplay screenplay by Dennis Kelly, and it's directed by Matthew Walkers, who also directed the original musical. So it is very closely related Mm -hmm. to the stage production. Um, yeah, and I think that extends right down to the staging of the film because it can at times feel like we're just moving from one big musical set piece to another. Mm -hmm. The overall story can feel a little rushed as a result, but it's just a delight, the whole thing. It's really quite marvellous. The colours, the the, the way in which it's staged, the ambition, the sort of creativity they use to transform the spaces in a way that, you know, only a theatre director would think to do. Um, but would be unable to do on an actual stage. So there's this nice kind of synergy there between the cinematic potential of the piece and the um, theatrical origins of it. And some and the music is just astounding. Some of these songs are just some of the best songs I've heard in a musical. They're so good. And in particular, when I grow up, um, that whole number just gets me every time. And I think about it for ages mm. after after I saw the show and after I saw the film. Um, Alicia Weir is Matilda and she's fantastic. She's got that, you know, I guess she's not doing the sort of theatre kid overacting kind of thing. She's, you know, got it nicely contained and cool. yeah, it's a very natural performance. Um, but also, yeah, a very big and bold one when it has to be. Um, we should talk about the plot, I suppose. It's about a young girl who loves books and she gets sent to a horrible yeah. school run by a terrible teacher. Because she has awful parents. And she has awful parents, played by Stephen Graham and Andrea Riceborough, who <laughs> are great, but their song has been cut from the musical Aww. and they really want Stephen Graham's song. Yeah. Very annoyed, but he's wonderful as the sort of cartoonish villain and sort mm. of, you know... It does. It makes so much sense when they're all English. They're such archetypes. He's it such does, a sort of grotesque Del Boy f- uh, character. Mm. You know, it makes a lot of sense. But um, and then we've got Lashana Lynch uh, as Miss Honey, who is just wonderful as this very kind, generous, and curious person who really loves the kids, but is absolutely terrified of Miss Trunchbull, who is mm-hmm. the big villain of the piece, played by Emma Thompson. Um, yeah, and she, Emma Thompson is fantastic in the role, and it's a very comedic performance, and yeah, a very transformative one. It's you know she really disappeared into the role. The supporting kids are incredible, mm. like just the general uh, ensemble of child actors, the dancing, the singing, the sort of natural performances they give are just amazing. The little kid who has to eat all of the cake—I can't remember his name. Oh, Bruno? Bruce Bogtrotter. Bruce Bogtrotter. Bruce. Yes, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure it's still Bruce. And yeah, oh my god, Bruce. that kid can dance. Wow. <laughs> quite something cool the final number where they sort of um the uh, children are revolting 
Good lord, the synchronicity there. And maybe part of it comes from this being a lockdown movie because all of the kids stayed in the same hotel together. Okay. And I think most of the cast and crew probably had to as well because of COVID restrictions. So maybe mm. they just really got that mm. <laughs> that timing down incredibly tight so that it looks like Janet Jackson's... Um, uh, <laughs> what's it called? The army one. Oh, uh, I can't yeah, I, call off the top I want to say Seven Nation Army. And it's Not that, no. Not that, dang mm. it. Anyway, New World Army? Anyway. Um, yeah, it's incredible. The only thing that slightly needles me about this is something from the stage play as well, which is the performance of Miss Trunchbull as this incredibly butch, kind of absurd figure who kind of mixes masculine traits in with feminine. Mm. And there's a, a dream sequence she has where she imagines a world without children in which she is portrayed in this over-feminized way. And... <clears throat> you are very clearly meant to find it amusing that this very butch woman is it is you know imagining herself in a dress and on a swing and mm. I don't know it, it makes me a little uncomfortable the nature yeah. of that like it feels a little bit um, I don't know gender normative you might say yeah. it's just yeah she's absurd I mean she has to be big she has to be tough but sometimes you get the impression that you're meant to be laughing at this woman for being big and tough yeah you know, and big and tough women are great yeah of but, course yeah. But anyway, it's it's it might be a personal thing, but that no, that's, that's fair enough. Me a little. That's fair I mean, enough. So it feels old fashioned, is what it does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, the rest of the thing, the the supporting cast. Um, yeah, Vindu Lee as the librarian, she's really mm. good. Just everyone, like you can't single them out. It's like Paddington in some ways. Just all of the supporting cast just get this wonderful impression of a little community that love Matilda more than her parents do. Cool. Yeah, and you will too. And I will. Check it out. You will. Yeah. Nice. nice. That sounds fun. Uh, yeah. yeah um, I think I oh, said it's five to... stars. Oh, great. Yeah. I think I said to this to you when you first told me about this, um, because spoilers, we talk outside this podcast. Um, I, I disagree with it. I wish mm. I've tried to oppose it. Yeah, well, I've, I forced you to. I've got to do my research <laughs> somehow. Um, I would watch this. I have not seen the stage play. I've heard mixed mm. reviews interestingly i'm not sure if it's Very just because there's that, too yeah. much i don't know there's something sometimes about it's nice to hear that the child actors were very good in this because i yeah. have definitely more than once <laughs> seen productions yeah. with children in and they're doing an amazing job for children but right i've definitely sat through some very atonal singing and what should other you know what you're paying quite a lot of money to go see and so like watching stage performances yeah it's i mean it's an awful lot to ask kids to do but anyway yeah all that aside i do really love the um the original film i think you know the american one yeah i have a (laughs) very soft spot um my heart for that so you know, I'm going to yeah. go into this obviously prepared, willing and prepared to hate it, but I will watch it. Yes, <laughs> good. I hope that it wins you over. I think. Yeah, I think it probably would. In there will absolutely blow you away. Right. Next up, this isn't going to be your cup of tea. This is you will not be alone. Oh, I might be in the cinema if I invite you. <laughs> um, this is Macedonian Australian filmmaker Goran Stolevsky. Uh, his feature fil- film debut. And it's a Macedonian folk horror story that's very rich in lore and mystery. Basically, you've got this uh, woman living in this small village and she has a baby. And then one day a witch comes and visits and (sighs) demands the baby. 
um, and she's and the mother kind of you know convinces her, tricks her, says, "Wouldn't you rather have a full-grown child to be your servant to help you do things?" And she says, "Very well, I shall return when the child is eighteen. And she goes away, and the mother takes the child and hides her away mm. uh, in solitude, where she grows to be eighteen, completely cut off from the rest of humanity. And then she is released by the witch who then sort of turns her into one of her. So she becomes this kind of mm. body traveling witch who is able to feast upon the flesh of people, but then also sort of adopt their form. Okay. And using this method, she is able to integrate various villages and explore life, you know, as a woman, as a man, you know, mm. as a, I think she even, she, she might do an animal at one stage, but she, yeah, she, tra- she travels through Macedonian sort of medieval society experiencing life and in spite of the horror concept and some fairly grisly images it is really a gorgeous film it has this terence malick style cinematography from matthew chung and it does feel like a hidden life in some ways of just this study of simple farming rituals and the communities um, it's a movie that's just all about life, but is very unsentimental of it. <laughs> just characters will just be killed and then we'll just move on. And it's not a movie that's going to condemn its main character for being a monstrous being, because ultimately they're just trying to figure themselves out too. Um, incredible cast. Like everybody has to be able to p- play this girl. Oh, okay. Because yeah. she shapeshifts into them and then mm. becomes them. One of whom is, um, uh, oh God, Numi Rapaz. Yes, that's, yes. Uh, the original girl with the dragon tattoo. No, that's not her. Who was in Lamb? <laughs> I think it is Numi yeah. Rapaz. Numi Rapaz? Yeah, she was in Lamb. Excuse me. That mm. looks like you. Yes, yes, that's her. Yes, excuse me. For some reason, the name just suddenly felt wrong. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Rapaz, yes, Rapace, yes. Rapaz. Rapace. Well, she picked it. Uh, it's yeah. not a real surname. She mm. ran away from her family and she hated it and she picked a name which I think in the language um French, is maybe it? swedish oh, uh, it's it's like a bird of prey like mm. a raptor that's kind of a badass name cool <laughs> uh but Very yeah cool. she's in it and uh, you know a bunch of other people as well and they all play the same character with this sort of wide-eyed na- naivete that's also sort of this misunderstanding of the value of life um so it's a really fascinating film i really found it unpredictable um just thoroughly intoxicating and i look forward to seeing it again um, awesome. And yeah, that's another one of the five star guys. Cool. That sounds <laughs> spooky. Yeah. Folk, spooky folk stuff sound, is, always sounds yeah. very intriguing. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I mean, I don't know if it is, but it absolutely felt well thought out enough that this was just a piece of Macedonian folklore. Mm, just that's cool. Had it definitely has folklore vibes to that kind of witch yeah. character. Yeah. A, cr- a witchy creature that can come and eat you, but also look like you. Very creepy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and it was all. T- I think at one point she is actually burned as a witch, uh, mm. but she has these sort of powers that you know I mean that's not going to be uh, dis- as decisive as you might think it is. <laughs> got to um, drown them too. Yeah, you got to do that. Trust me. <laughs> one of those rare movies where the witch hunters are oh, actually right. Yeah, there is a yeah, chick going yeah. around murdering people and taking <laughs> their skins. <laughs> yeah, but don't... you you picked this one for the wrong reasons. I mean, you're right, but you picked it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. It's different. It's about outsiders as well. It's very much a film about mm. outsiders looking in. Um, and in, yeah. into your bones, into your bones, yeah. <laughs> After they've eaten you, <laughs> yeah. Those outsiders can stay outside, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you know what? Maybe inclusion can go too far <laughs> when you adopt the actual murderers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just let the zombies in! Come on, come on. <laughs> um, 
That's a I mean, no from diff- me on watching it, by the, the way. Differently Living. The Differently uh, yeah, Living. Fair <laughs> yeah, no from me on watching it, but it sounds intriguing. Thank you very much. Yeah. Next film, please. Oh, you know, you're going to say no to this one as well, because it's yeah. Joyland. <gasps> I saw this one. <laughs> you said yes to this one, and you said le- yes to life. I picked it. Yeah. yeah. Jen picked this one. Um, yeah, this mm. is a uh, Pakistani film by Sayim Sadiq. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first Pakistani film to be selected for Cannes. Yes. Yeah, and it's actually going to be released in Pakistan, which is extraordinarily exciting. Yes. And my God, I Given hope that goes well. In particular. Yes. <laughs> well, t- you tell us, what's the topic of this? Oh, God. Um, I would describe it as a film about the social pressures mm. on various members of a family in Pakistan, a sort of middle yeah. class, normal, not, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know Pakistani society enough, but not, you know, they've got a nice, you know, traditional family well respected in the neighborhood but the gender and sexuality pressures on all of them um are immense and it's how it affects all of them negatively in different ways um and it's mostly about this one family plus the one external character who is um (laughs) super cool um uh but yeah it's it's sort of it it draws them all in it's a it's almost got the feel of a what you call it an ensemble cast sort of it really does. Thing. It's principally about uh, sort of three main characters. You've got Ali uh, now Junijo. I don't know how. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Ali Junijo as uh, Haida. Mm. Uh, he's the he's the sort of um, he's the son of the family, and he is expected to. He's got a wife, mm. and he is expected to find a job, meaningful work, although the nature of the work is secondary to the income he will be bringing yeah. in. <laughs> established pretty for early on in a very comedic yeah. scene. And he yeah. has actually found work as a backing dancer for Bieber, mm. uh, played by Alina Khan, um, who is a transgender performer, a transgender mm-hmm. woman, who is experiencing pressures as a result and is really having to sort of forcefully and again very humorously fight, mm. uh, for the most part, fight for her right to be included yeah. in the venues that yeah. she's uh, playing to, uh, playing in. And I think to be it, treated it can like be a star. Full on. Oh, yeah. yeah. Treated like yeah. a star she deserves, more it's so true. than the sort of resident star. Oh, yeah. Who's diva type <laughs> yeah, who does not exactly. like her. <laughs> no. Um, Um, sorry I was going to say yes I agree it's uh, a very good mix of comedy and and intensity Mm, absolutely it doesn't forget like the power it doesn't depower her in her Mm. portrayal of her plight like she is still a powerful figure Mm -hmm. and you know you don't in spite of the dangers she faces you don't find yourself worrying too much about her because you just know that she can shout down a room full of men if needed in a wonderful sequence oh yeah very good sequence um, Very good sequence. And you yeah. also have Rusty Farouk as mm-hmm. Mumtaz, who is um, Haida's sister, who is going out and working. Oh, uh, Haida's sister? Wife. Oh, is it the wife? Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's it his is wife. wife. It's his wife. That's right. And she is going out and working. She's found mm. a job and she's happy out there. Um, but as soon as Haida finds a role, she is required to stay at home and help with the kids. Uh, yeah, not her kids. Her, not the, her kids. The they don't have kids. Sister-in-law. So Haida's, they live, it's the two sons of this um, patriarchal, the dad yeah. patriarch of the family. He has yeah. two sons, both are married. And yeah. the um, one's Haida and his wife, Mumtaz. And the other, yeah. I can't remember the guy's name, but he has a wife no. and they yeah, have the a bunch of children. Kind of <laughs> yeah. And so, what's, yeah. what's what's their deal? They work, right? Because they're he meant to be works, like the model, the ideal. Yeah, the guy, know. the guy out of the two works. We don't know yeah. doing something, and yeah. he's always been a bit more. You know, he's clearly the preferred son. 
because, yes, partly because he's traditional. producing all these children. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and his wife stays at home. Uh, I like yeah. we have a scene later on in the thing. It, uh, it turns out she had also, because there's a wonderful relationship between mm. the two wives. Yes, who are both I love quite that. young, really. But yeah. um, not, you know, probably in their 20s, 30s, something like that. Mm. But they have a lovely relationship. And at one point, the other wife says something about she originally trained as something. Quite, she's yeah. got a degree in something quite cool. But now she also feels a little trapped, yeah. stuck here, trying you know, to have a son specifically for yes. for the family. And that's definitely a pressure. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's about just so quiet. much going on. <laughs> there's a lot going on. It is mainly occupied with this love story between um, Haida and uh, and Bieber and the sort of tragic mm. culmination of Mumtaz's frustrations. Um, it's a beautiful story that's really full of passion and life, but also very relatable hesitancies and frustration on behalf of the characters because you do get an impression of the horrible, oppressive world they are a part of and understand what is at risk yes. of what they are trying to gain for themselves. Mm. Um, it's about the quiet nature of the patriarchy, the sort of unquestioned, hideous nature of it. Mm. Uh, the, the conversation in which it is agreed that Mumtaz shall no longer go out to work is just horrible for how mm. little voice she has in that moment. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just... And she agreed. tries, but... yeah. She's just, nothing, you know, nothing to be there's done. nothing she can do. It's the, the momentum of the conversation just completely carries away without her. Mm. Um, yeah, and it just gives this wonderful impression of sort of, um, of Pakistan and this sort of, this kind of, of lifestyle that they're living in. And it recalls Satyajit Ray for me in terms mm. of its portrayal. Like it just, it feels like a whole world that you've got to experience a little bit of. Um, and it's inspired apparently by the the director's discovery of a tra- transgender community in Lahore, which is mm. great because there's a there's a couple of sequences where we meet that community where she goes yes. and hangs out with her adopted family, and I really you know that was really fascinating. Mm. I wanted to see more of that, and I think maybe he covered that in more detail in his um, it's the same Sadiq. I think he might have covered it in his early short film from which yes. this is sort of growing this is from. An expansion. I think he mentioned that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he did. He said this this was yeah. sort of building on the shorter film that he originally did yeah i'd be interested to see that because mm. yeah this this is a little miracle of a film i think it yeah. really is just an absolute testament to the power of cinema as an empathy machine and i hope it plays in pakistan well i hope it gets awards uh, notice mm. and i hope that this is something very much like when dogtooth came out and the, the greek prime minister had to come out and say yes we're very proud to have released this weird little movie i hope <laughs> that this movie gets all sorts of recognition and the people in yeah. power are gonna have to be like okay yeah you made a great film yeah i agree i thought it was wonderful yeah uh, it was my favorite of the films the six films that i saw yeah understand um yeah i just thought they managed to make to really make every single character in this family plus biba feel well-rounded and like whole mm. human beings yeah. and you sympathize for them you've got angry at some of them and some of their behavior sometimes but literally every character you see even the dad, the patriarch yeah, of the, the family, dad even has he stuff going on. has stuff going on. And there's mo- there's a moment where you realize that even he's feeling, you know, even he is being let down by all yeah, the expectations on the family and how he's supposed to behave and how other people yeah. are supposed to behave. And that ra- they, in reality, they would all just much rather live the way they want to. But yeah, it's, you know, it's a compound. You've, you've got the whole thing tied in. You've got, every, yeah. you know, it's a film, so obviously everyone's feeling everything. But yeah, uh, I thought it was all... wonderful, and yeah, and the relationships between everyone was beautiful and felt very yeah. earned, and I thought it was beautifully shot. Yep, oh, I just God, thought it was yeah. fantastic film. It's it's absolutely wonderful. It's year it's mm. year endless territory. This it's um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree. Is, I I'd it was say fantastic. it's my 
second favourite film mm. that I saw with you, but we'll come to that later. Okay, okay, Not necessarily yeah, immediately, enough. because we do now move on to <laughs> The Boy from Heaven. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Another film I saw. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We saw this together. This is Swedish-Egyptian filmmaker Tariq Sa- uh, Saleh. Mm. Yeah. yeah. yeah Tariq yeah. Saleh, who writes and directs this movie about a... It's a political thriller concerning a young student who is caught up in the struggle to replace the grand imam of Al-Ajar a very important position in Egypt and possibly the highest authority in the Sunni Islam faith. Mm. Although I read that there's, you know, contention there. Um, So in spite of what the filmmakers said to us, (laughs) it is a critique of the Egyptian state and the role that religion plays in it and the role that it plays in and the role that the state plays in religion, especially, Mm. but it doesn't disrespect Islam. It feels, uh, no, I wouldn't say so. Non-Islamic person. It doesn't seem to, because indeed the sins of the film are against Islam. It's tenets, its structures, and mm-hmm. most importantly, its believers who are forced to sort of massively compromise on their hopes, their dreams, and their faith in order to try and, you know, implement these horrible, you know, changes that the state requires. Um, it's very compelling, very dark, horribly believable in its kind of mm. cynicism, but as a result, kind of hopeful as well in its portrayal of this young man sort of learning the system and learning to overcome the odds that are stacked against him and figuring out a way out. Mm. Um, it is a little unfocused and it does lose the tension in places, but I was really carried along by it. So mm. yeah, I think this one gets four stars for me. Pre- uh, Joyland's five, by the way, obviously. Oh, yeah. Of course. Um, yeah, I think this is a four-star film for me, which is that I can't really fault it very much. Um, I really yeah. enjoyed it, but it doesn't quite push into that territory of some of the Fair films enough. that are on here. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it too. I would agree mm. that was... Uh, I had the same comment that I think there was moments where I lost some of the tension. Yeah. And I think it's partly just that I didn't truly understand the stakes that were at play at yes. times because I and didn't understand... Motivation. There was certain... I don't know. I'm not sure whether it would be better, you know, with it having more familiarity with the with the system and the importance mm. of this role. I don't know. It's just, um, it's, it's an interesting film because the guy himself, like Tarek Saleh can't go to Egypt. No, <laughs> he's banned, right? Because yeah, he's yeah. banned. Um, so this is film was set entirely shot entirely in Turkey mm. and other places that- to recreate yeah. Egypt. Was that because of Niall Hilton, sorry, or was it... Um... I don't know. Um, I, it probably didn't help. <laughs> I think he was there at the end of <laughs> hey, that filming. police force is corrupt. Oh, they're kind of a big deal out here, actually. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's an interesting one, because te- in, in reality, they're both... I think he just sort of mm. set out to make political thrillers, but both of them yeah. definitely touch on issues <laughs> that are quite critical of the state in particular. Yes, absolutely. It's definitely the state and its, its fingers in every single pie and the corruption. Yeah. Oh, that God. is the the thing he critiques most in both of them. Um, yes. I mentioned it. I had um, a lesson with my Egyptian Arabic teacher this week. Oh. And I mentioned it. I said, oh, I saw an Egyptian film. She was like, oh, interesting. Which film did you see? And I said, oh, this one by um, this guy, Tarek Saleh. And she was like, oh, I've heard. I haven't seen this, but I've heard of it. And all, But all she really knew of it was people. <laughs> I think if I understood correctly, because again, talking in a second language. So I was like, <laughs> I can't quite articulate exactly what the how I, I feel about this film to you <laughs> but 
<laughs> the only thing she really knew was someone on Facebook, I think, ranting about how it didn't look enough like Cairo and looked oh, more wow, like okay. the Vatican. Oh, we and had I'm that in the theatre. <laughs> yeah. Remember there was like, he was there saying, but I think we did a good job. You know, we went around, where did they film again? In Istanbul. In Istanbul, yeah. In a Istanbul. And they were like, yeah, and I think we did a good job. And that was what he said. He said, and, you know, I was walking around here in West London, you know, I was thinking, oh, maybe this could be Cairo. And someone was just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. insane. But I think that's to discount what certain bits of Cairo look like. Yeah. I think, it's not all dusty streets, as most of it know. is. But You like, might get a bit fiercely defensive. Like, if I maybe. was abroad and someone was like, yeah, you could do London here in New York, I'd be like, no, you can't. Yeah. Very specific no, shots, though. I get. Anyway. Yeah. The point was that the only, you know, the only thing she yeah. could remember of this criticism was just the guy complaining that yeah. it, didn't, it looked like the Vatican rather than Cairo and it, that wasn't the right <laughs> type of architecture for the oh, okay. Al-Azhar um, mosque. And I was like, well, yeah. that's fine, I think. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's going to take most no. people out of the story. It felt, no. I mean, my God, some of the spectacular shots in this of the Yeah, of the some school, very beautiful you know, shots, yeah. Amazing crowd shots and just mm. um, a really interesting, because I assume it was somewhat researched, like insight into the, the oh, university, yeah, like the so. whole the bunk system you know mm. that kind of thing it's like yeah. the most prestigious university in cairo and it's yeah it's very interesting because i assume that they're trying to also teach like humbleness as well and like mm. yeah potentially oh, yeah. ironically again there's a lot of criticism here there's a very good um sequence in which one of the uh potential inam sends um the young man who has managed to finagle his way into being his pa to go get mcdonald's uh, <laughs> yes. for, um, for him yes. <laughs> yeah that was good it's um, very good. Just yeah, fun little insights. Yeah, which are, um, yeah. yeah. It was an entertaining film about it was. you know, like always, as everything, power and corruption. Both of his films yeah. about power and corruption. Yeah, I think yeah. it's another good one, another very good. And pick. a thriller. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed right, it. and now one of Katie's favorites. Ooh. In fact, I think that this is Katie's year-end movie um, at mm. the moment. This is The Wonder. Okay. The Wonder so or this, the Wonder? The Wonder. Wait, I can't understand your southern vowel. Are we talking with an O Seven here? Wonders of the World. Wonder. Oh, Seven Wonders of the World. Okay, yeah. Wonder. The Wonder. <laughs> you know, the seven places you can wander in... Um, yeah, the Seven Wonders yeah. of the World, yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Seven I know wonders. what you're on about. <laughs> yeah, so the Wonder. It's, um, the Wonder Vision. Is, yeah. Um, yeah, this is Chilean director Sebastian Lelio, mm. who directed his own brilliant transgender drama, A Fantastic Woman, which was at LFF in 2017. Uh, yes. I missed out on that. I de- definitely recommend it. Mm. Uh, yeah, returns with this. So the movie is um, Florence Pugh plays a young uh, doctor who has been sent out to Ireland in order to examine a young girl who apparently has survived for three months without eating anything. And mm. she, along with a nun, are required to observe the girl, played by Keela Lord Cassidy. Um, to find out if this is a legitimate miracle or not. So, uh, and in so doing, they find out what's happening, how it's... Well, Florence Pugh finds out what's happening, how it's happening, and why it's happening. And when you know that, it becomes an absolutely perfect little microcosm to demonstrate how young women become trapped in a patriarchal society and, you know, a religious society and the circumstances under which an entire community, including the girl's parents, might come to the conclusion that it is better to let a young girl starve to death than speak the truth. Mm. Um, it's really just terrifying in that way. Um, and and yeah, just really, it does go out of its way to humanize everyone, although it does show some people as being particularly stupid and absurd. You've got a um, sort of council leader uh, set of people in this village. Uh, one of whom is played by Toby Jones, who's doing mm. great sort of buffoonery. And then there's Kieran Hines there as well as the sort of belligerent old man. Although I think he's actually the one with the most humanity to him. Um, 
Yeah, and it's very good at just showing the ridiculousness of these men as well as their horrific power. Um, incredible photography from Ari Wegner, who actually shot Pew in period before in Lady Macbeth, but has mm. made extraordinary films since then. My God, it's In Fabric, True History of the Kelly Gang, one of the most visually arresting films of the last five years, I think that. Zola, which is another movie about just mm. sheer madness. And The Power of the Dog, which is um, similar to this in a fairly subdued kind of uh, cinematography but has some very memorable moments it opens with the set weirdly it opens in a sound stage with the set clearly bifurcated and then it moves through and the words the wonder come up and a narrator tells us that we are watch- about to watch a movie about you know this oh, interesting so it really raises attention to the artifice and it has this real 70s kind of vibe to the whole thing before it eventually hmm. moves into one of the sets and then becomes the sort of diegetic story. So that was a curious decision, but I think it's there to sort of um, just remind you that this is a story that, you know, maybe about, you know, this uh, 17th or 16th century thing, but it's, or it might even be Victorian actually, but it's, you know, being told now. We are hmm. staging this story now and the pertinence is now, you know, hmm. so... Yeah, it, it's it was a very good film uh, that I'm giving it four stars just because it didn't quite push me into the wonder sort of an yeah, experience. But I really loved it and I look forward to watching it again, at which point it might raise even further in my estimation. Florence Pugh is fantastic. Oh, of course. She's a very good yeah. performer. Yeah, she's excellent. Yeah, she really ah, that sounds fascinating. I'd definitely give that a yeah, watch. Definitely look out for Great. that Great. Yeah. Now very we have good. Aisha, uh, one of my mother's picks for the festival, Ooh. actually. Uh, this is Irish director Frank Berry directing a social realist drama about a young woman played by Letitia Wright, um, who is a very young immigrant who has fled her home country to come to the Northern Ireland and participates in the incredibly dehumanizing mm. uh, immigration system that sees her sort of interred to a room that she has to, you know, check in and out of and where she is constantly just having doors shut in her face by like bureaucracy and a system that has taught the workers to dehumanize her. Mm. You know, she can't get her mail unless she has her pass, even if she's in a hurry. She can't cook, you know, halal meat in the kitchen because it's for their meat only and they do their meat. Like it's just constant like barriers put on this woman in her attempt to retain her dignity and her own sense of identity and her own values. There is some hope that comes uh, between her and uh, Connor, one of the people working security at this place, played by Josh O'Connor. Yeah, so there's a bit of a a potential romance there, but there's also a friendship that sort of transcends Mm. the kind of barriers between them. And that's very nice. But there is the potential that this might just be too grim. Because ultimately, with this kind of social realism, and I think it was Riz Ahmed actually made this point really well in his introduction to Everything Everywhere All at Once, it can start to feel like a sociological experiment that you're just Mm. kind of eavesdropping on the suffering of this. And it just, it does get quite relentless. And it's real. These situations Mm -hmm. are happening, absolutely, and cannot be denied. But when you are telling it this frankly and this full on and with no sort of whimsy or magic to sort of, you know, bring any kind of levity to the thing, you do wonder just how are we going to make people who need to see it, see it. Yeah. Because it does, it's a great job of like articulating the inherent humanity of the migrant experience. But, you know, there's no sugar here. It's all medicine. (laughs) um, (laughs) Mm. It's, it's going to be tricky. I think the only way you could maybe sell it is just come check out Letitia Wright's performance because it's incredible. Mm. You know, she's absolutely fantastic in the role. So, you know, and she is mildly cancelled for her um, 
her questionable stance on vaccines at the moment. Oh. So I don't know if the appetite is out there for that. Yeah. Um, nevertheless, it is an incredible performance and it's a very good film, but it's a bitter pill to swallow. So I have to give it four stars. Yeah, Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. At that point, you start to wonder whether it should just be a documentary. Well, quite. I guess. And, um, yeah. If you know, if you're going for the hard truth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <sighs> Yeah, because the portrayal of British no, bureaucracy is mm. just so relatable. You just like just oh, constant gosh, yeah. letters, you know, little mm. letters like we regret to inform you that your mm. you know leave to remain has been you know overturned, and it's like oh, fuck off. This yeah. is just here's another awful. form to fill out. Yeah, if you oh, wish you to appeal this, this decision, box. sorry, oh, you're gonna Christ. have to fill it out again. Ugh. God, I hate England. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's get out of it, shall we? Let's go yeah. to. Uh, I'm probably America. gonna skip that one. Yeah, just no fan yeah. of. Um, well, here's the next one you're probably going to skip because this Yay. is uh, Bones and All. Oh, that sounds about right. Mm. Yep. This is Luca Guadagnino, mm. uh, who is returning after the glory of Call Me By Your Name and Suspiria. There is maybe a slight irony to him directing this movie, considering the allegations that were launched against Mr. Army Hammer in mm. his previous romance movie. <laughs> but I won't say more because actually I don't want to say much about what goes on in this. It's... It's a road movie about two lovers in Reagan era America, and they they're they're not your regular young couple. There's a uh, mm-hmm. something to these two, and it's uh, Taylor Russell from Waves. She played the sister. Cool. Um, yeah, fantastic performance there, and again, really amazing here. Timothy Chalamet plays the uh, the male, Beautiful. and yeah, just the male. <laughs> so sinister way of discovering the male. The, ma- the male. The male. See now, see now as they mate, interlocking their genitals. why it went some nature documentary but nevertheless they're both amazing um and yeah i didn't know much going in and i think that's best because if you don't know much about what's going on the opening sequence is wild it's just it really takes you by surprise from the transition to the everyday to the uh terrifying um wonderful it's fantastic it's um there is some supernatural kind of element to it it's it's just a movie about outsiders Mm. for a very valid reason in this but they are outsiders um <laughs> and it's just about their sort of experience and this portrayal of like middle america um I, I maybe i use the comparison to stephen king a bit too often i remember using it for the black phone but this really did feel like stephen king simply because there are rules and there are folksy mm. characters and in particular mark rylance plays this figure who is one of them as well okay. and he um he explains a lot of the rules on how it works and he's this kind of very folksy kind of guy. Why don't you come back to my place and I'll tell you some of the things I know. Old Jonesy's been around a long time. I can't remember his character name, but he's like that. And it's, you know, he's yeah, just kind that, of vaguely sinister guy. Have a Stephen King vibe. It does. It really Even to does. me not having watched Stephen King films, <laughs> I'm like, mm, yeah, Stephen King. He's yeah. got the shine. And, um, yeah. And Michael Stuhlberg is in it for one scene. He drops the title and is absolutely terrifying. And it's one of the most memorable bits of the film. So God bless Michael Stuhlberg. Cool. Um, oh, Andre Holland is in the movie and largely plays the voice. She's, he's the father of the of um, Taylor Russell. And he's largely present on like these messages that he's left for her explaining how she came to be the way that she is. Mm-hmm. And he's just got this great sort of old, again, Stephen King kind of movie of, I tried to get it out of you, but it took hold. I've done all I can now. 
and it's again it's just got that quality to it <laughs> chloe Sevigny has one sequence and it's the scariest moment in the film and one of the most mm. frightening moments of any film i've seen recently and original suspiria star jessica harper makes a little appearance so it's Ooh. nice it's nice that considering you know dario argento is not very supportive of that movie that some people involved in the original suspiria continue to be associated with mr guaranino nice. um arsene kachaturian does the uh cinematography and it's gorgeous editing by marco costa it's experimental and fantastic yeah it's just there's not much bad for me to say about this it is all five stars i absolutely love this look at that dog yeah sorry did you see him <laughs> i saw him get up and then like go in a little circle and then sit oh, down you again. did no oh, i didn't know can you see that far i can That's cute oh <laughs> so you can you can just see his little yeah, head i can I oh it was so cute he was circle. so he was so sleepy, he was just trying to get comfortable. Oh, sometimes you have to walk around in a little circle to reset. Yeah, he did. He did in such a, like, a, I'm so tired kind of way. <laughs> Bless him. I know the feeling well. Yeah. That's how no. I moved from cinema to cinema in this. I imagine. <laughs> oh, God. All right, well, it's another Katie film next. It's Next Suhi. This one you're going to like. Mm, I think I remember seeing this one on the program because I think mm. I long listed this f- yeah. to watch. Mm-mm. Absolutely. It's, it's got a really interesting premise. It's a heartbreaking film from Korean director uh, Jung Ji-ri. Mm-hmm. And she has brought a movie about the uh, South Korean temp system. So mm. this is the system by which you go to school, you learn a vocation. I believe our main character, Suhi, played by Kim Soo-in, is um, uh, she's learning to be, I think it's a vet, actually. But she needs to complete this work placement in order to complete her qualification. And essentially that just means a kind of slave labor kind of thing. You know, she's getting Mm. played beneath minimum wage in a call center for an internet provider. Okay. And her entire job is... Her entire job is to convince people not to quit uh, the company. By, you know, stalling and diverting them and offering them deals and all of the rest. You know, the kind Mm. of thing. Yeah. Um, And they are put under enormous pressure to do this and it's tricky it's i kind of want to stop there because it's a story of two halves there's a pivotal event halfway through and the story shifts to the perspective of yu jin played by bei duna and um yeah her her sort of role in the film again i don't want to i don't really want to spoil it but it feels very pertinent but unlike aisha this is actually really funny and quite thrilling um, mm. and has that it has that darkness that makes you sort of want to hate the world that we live in, but just enough beauty to make you want to change it. Um, so, cool. yeah, in, in order to protect the next Suhi. So, yeah. And my God, Kim Si-un was just so charming. <laughs> What's so heartbreaking <laughs> about the movie is that she was so charming in this role. Um, she's also, you know, she's got this massive enthusiasm for dance and, mm. you know, practices that it's it's a it's a painful film but it's one that is absolutely worth seeing because it it plays out with that lovely kind of um insight into the society and a really humanist look at what it costs if you just give yourself over to a capitalist system in a way that dehumanizes the people in it wow yeah sounds interesting it's very good i really How loved many it stars? all five all five great all five well speaking of five stars Godland. Godland. Ah, Which is so many called... lands in this so many land. Yeah, I know, right? And this one's yeah. called two different things because it's released under its Icelandic title and its uh, Danish title, which are similar but not oh. the same. Okay. Very crucially. <laughs> I'd um, like to hear your original language yeah. pronunciation of both of those, please. Yeah, sure, absolutely. <laughs> Be glad to do that for you. Let me just pull that up mm-hmm. because 
I didn't write it down. Oh, here we go. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to uh, call that... Nope, I'm going to call you <laughs> to actually uh, explain what that's going to be. Oh, God, don't here ask me. Why would I know? What's that symbol? We've got, like, Valorga. Oh, no, it's, I've heard of this. I've heard of this weird this looks, D. D. Danish looks more achievable. That's Vanskapteland. 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 I'm just going to say Volat and put a little, like, the on the D. Volavland. Volavland and Vanskapteland. Volavland. Let's see if people will say it to us. No, they won't. Coward. Absolute coward. Wait, pronounce. Is that a D or an O? Oh, it's an O with a hat on. How to pronounce... No, that's not... Oh, it's an O with a hat on. I thought it was a D. Yeah, it's an... Oh, no. Volavland. Well, look, it's got a little, like, connector between the O and the, um... I can't see. It's too small. Oops. Hang on. You know, we just need to just take that letter and put that into... Uh, oh, yeah. It's like a weird curly D with a line through it. Just take that and just put that into Google, that one letter. And it'll it'll work. Yeah. It'll tell you what to do with that. Oh, it's like a the. Okay, I guessed. Ah, I guessed okay. okay. So... That was a good guess. Okay, so it should Volava. be... Like this. The. Volta. Volta? Vol... What was it? That's my back button. Behind the zoom options, get out of his zoom options. Nobody likes you. There we go. Volaverland. Volaverland. Well, there you go. Volaverland. Volaverland. Um, yeah. The Netherlands. Ah, maybe. Hmm. <laughs> so yes, this is Icelandic filmmaker uh, Hilnir Palmerson, mm. who um, follows up Winter's Brothers, which I caught the first ten minutes of at LFF 2017, <laughs> and was very sorry to miss the rest of, but I had to rush off to a different thing because it was a really incredible opening sequence involving this Ooh. two people fighting in a mine it was very Ooh. dramatic and had a sort of um uh what do you call it days of heaven vibe to it which was very good um okay so a, Luther- a lutheran priest from denmark is sent to iceland to establish a new church there and mm-hmm. as he travels across the unforgiving icelandic kind of landscapes he practices his love of photography and it's another film of two halves because halfway through the movie he does make it there and then the rest of the movie is set sort of in this tiny little commune as they try to build the church and the community that's going to live there of danish people in iceland Mm. um we've got elliot crosses hove as uh, lucas the priest um who is just fantastic as this man who is initially just total fish out of water but then has this internal reservoir of frustration and rage that keeps coming out, particularly aimed at his Icelandic guide, played by mm. Ingvar Egget Sigurdsson, mm. uh, who plays Ragnar, um, who is a native Icelandic man who, um, yeah, has to assist the uh, priest to travel across the country. So it's about the collision of cultures, most uh, of course. It's about sort of, and there's a class element too, because it's sort of Danish high society versus very rural Icelandic uh, communities, you know, farmers and, you know, people who live off of the land. Um and it's, it is about the collision of language as well. There's a lot in there about, um, you know, how the language feels. And at one point, you know, Ragnar was talking about how he does speak Danish, but it's, you know, this this uncomfortable and unpleasant language in his voice, mm. which is amusing because I've heard a lot of people slam uh, Danish um, <laughs> as a language to speak. Um, no offense, Don't you'll alienate our massive Danish audience. Oh, no. We, they'll, they'll be fine. They'll be very into it. Tak for new. <laughs> oh god but yeah it's it's about that and it's about the ex- it, the extraordinary use of the icelandic landscape as just this primal almost primordial mm. 
um, place in order to set your story. And yeah, in these desperate situations, it recalls like Bellatar in his very slow portrayal of humanity on edge and his handling of what is often a very dr- dramatic subject matter in a very stately kind of way. Mm. You know, there's there's stuff going on in here that could f- honestly be in like the premise to a Western, like a neo-modern Western. Um, but it's happening in this very kind of slow, considered and very poetic way. So yeah, it, it's it's a fantastic film. I was really impressed by it. I loved its uh, photography and it's it's presented in a sort of academy ratio kind of square and yet still has this full impact of these landscapes. So yeah, it's another five star, dude. That's fantastic. That sounded great. I've just, the dog is, yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah just dog, just dog drama. Just And by drama, I mean he, want, he wanted to walk one way and then it was blocked and then he just stood there. Just dog business. That's just dog That's business. It. Come, come, lie on my feet. Keep them warm. <laughs> yeah, whatever that film was, it sounded good. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Who gives a solitary cuss at the moment because there's a dog yeah. about and he's great. Yeah. All right. Um, well, look. Yeah, no, it lock... sounded interesting. I remember seeing it on the program as well, and that one stood out. Yeah. Just yeah. because it seemed very dramatic. Yeah, um, it is. Yes. It feels epic in its own yes. way, in its own slow, kind of cool way. Yeah. Even um, the still from it looked epic. <laughs> oh, yeah, it did. It was him yeah, was, like, was struggling good. with his photography, like mm-hmm. um, stuff on his back as he lands on yeah. the beach. Yeah, yeah, very good. I can't wait to see that again. Cool. Yeah, I'd give it a um, watch. A movie that you won't want to watch, I don't want to watch again, is The Stranger. Yay. Um, what, are you okay, Australia? <laughs> <laughs> is everything all right? <laughs> I, I'm sure that, actually, I know for a fact that you are making these wonderful, incredible movies that explore like young love, you know, like my mm. first summer last year or, um, you know, trauma, but through a fantastical lens, like blaze that we talked about last time. Oh yes. But Britain doesn't want those. We want your depressing <laughs> crime thrillers. Apparently. <laughs> That's all we're willing to buy. We want animal kingdom. We want Snowtown. We want that horrible one about the bikers. We just want everything you've got. That's just grim. <laughs> and here is the stranger. Yay. Thomas M. Wright, best known for directing Everest, weirdly, um, has made... Oh, the film about the Everest disaster. Yeah, the Everest disaster. Oh, I watched that this summer. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, he directed that. Very odd little... (laughs) <laughs> little thing but yeah. yeah he's he's made a crime drama of which we i have seen maybe too many i can concede that it has a very good premise mm. um the premise is basically that sean harris the most depressing man in england has gone to australia <laughs> to um you can keep him australia <laughs> oh god he's playing in australia he's doing a good job from what i can see it's just every man in this is bulky and big has a big <laughs> beard and hair pulled back into a very greasy ponytail Yay. that's every man in this um, they look, just look like older bikers. <sighs> <laughs> and yeah, Sean Harris has recently got out of prison and he makes contact with Joel Edgerton, who's also here because, oh God. Um, and yeah, uh, he uh, uh, and he's being inducted into this kind of mafia, but it becomes obvious that what's actually happening is that Sean Harris is being um, kind of led on to confess his involvement in the death of a young child. Um, that happened earlier and so joel edgerton is like getting close to this man and he's befriending him and he's you know he's having to earn his confidence when he knows that he is a child murderer and he himself has his own son so there's a Mm. lot in there about like the banality of evil you know it gets to a point where sean harris is just very calmly and detachedly and very like amicably relaying how he killed the boy and things like that and it has like feelings of m as well like fritz lang movie um Mm. 
it's claustrophobic and it's tense and there's not that much in the way of hope or light. Like even Edgerton's home life is just quite depressing. And oh dear, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't like it. Doesn't sound I very need... fun. <laughs> no, like even if Jed Kurzel was doing it or Justin Kurzel, whichever one of them is the director and not the music person, um, <laughs> if they were doing it, it would have like this incredible style. Like it would mm. be this gorgeous kind of terrible thing, like a monument of ghastliness. But this, oh, it's just bleak. <laughs> mm. it's just too bleak for me i'm afraid so it's just the three yeah, stars i can see that there is a good film in there but it's not one that i particularly enjoyed seeing yeah fair fair that yeah. doesn't you know you're allowed to just watch films because you want <laughs> a know, nice entertainment right? well that or well, escape from something it, i'm not a fan well, of bleak films personally i think so. i'm reminded of the conversation in my dinner with andre there's a great moment where one of them is talking about plays and he's saying mm. that if you put on a play where everything is hope and light and fluffy and excellent that it kind of just placates the audience and it puts them to sleep but if you show a movie that is bleak and horrible and terrible then it will also act as a kind of anesthetic and put people to sleep because people know the world is bleak and horrible because they see the Mm. news every day. They're surrounded by it. They know that Mm. the world is a problematic place. And if you just put something on that just confirms that, then it doesn't challenge them. They just think, okay, yes, that's pretty much as I expected the world to be. To be daring, you have to show ways out. You have to show Mm. light. You have to show that it's worth fighting for in spite of how bleak it is. And that actually takes a lot more courage than just being as dark as you can be yeah i would agree Mm. um agree well speaking of dark (laughs) we're getting towards (laughs) something very good uh the origin so directorial debut for british director andrew cumming it's a movie about cavemen it's paleolithic man or i don't Mm. know if that's correct actually but it's it's very early sort of caveman because um yeah there's a reveal that involves um another breed of early man uh, because cool. we coexisted for a while, didn't we? With, oh, yeah, um, two different oh, yeah. species. At that? No, because we, we were could species, interbreed at that point. Oh, we could interbreed, yeah. So it we was... were two, two different genuses or something. It was Neanderthal. I'm just saying, saying science words. But yeah, we, there was two different like types of I think of it was human. Homo was Neanderthal, Neanderthal and Homo... Erectus? I think so, or Homo sapien. Or maybe sapien? we're all Homo sapien. I'm not no, sure. No, because Erectus we don't know was science. earlier than that, right? Yeah, we don't know science. Oh, I don't know why I'm making this up. Like, I, I know, think Neanderthal was also really erect. I think he did stand up. Yeah, erect. they were all standing up, but I think Homo erectus was before, and then you've got Neanderthals yeah. and sapiens. From... Yes, I think that's right. <laughs> but we were cousins. <laughs> Essentially, we were cousins. Yeah, right in they were cousins. They were cousins. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that forms part of the tension at the heart of the film because it, it, it is about Homo sapien. It's about mankind. Okay. And it's called the origin. So it's just like mm. the beginnings. Just, and yeah. they are traveling from one place to another hoping for shelter in a cave system that will provide warmth and you know mm, all the things you want in a mod mm. all the mod cons yeah, and nice space to draw yeah <laughs> to do your poetry yeah and uh so that they can sit around and try to invent tilda swinton mm. so yeah they're, they're doing that but then suddenly they get attacked by this terrible horrible beast so it has a sort of uh similar to prey kind of uh, vibe to it although it's mm. probably not very flattering to compare native american culture as to prehistoric ones um <laughs> So I'll get cancelled for that, but that's okay. That's fine. I can keep going. I could do without the pressure of having to be publicly available. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it's ultimately about how fear shapes mankind's destiny and how we are kind of our own worst enemy, really, which is fairly well-trodden ground, but it's it's an interesting premise. It's um, an interesting little insight. The characters are quite rote. You know, in spite of this being Mm. like early man, they do fit into kind of archetypes that you all recognize. The scare sequences are fairly conventional, but they are punctuated by moments of kind of, you know, big gore or, you know, something genuinely disturbing. Um, It can be 
very intense, but felt more like a bit of a missed opportunity. Like I can see mm. more things you might want to do with this, but I did enjoy the final act. So it's three stars. It's okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Oh, that's yeah. a shame. I knew you were yeah. looking forward to it. But... I was looking forward to that one, but it was just a bit too conventional for my liking. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. It takes oh. a lot to impress a pool salt nowadays. It does. Well, this mm-hmm. one impressed me. Let's talk about mm-hmm. St. Omer. Mm-hmm. Which is a bit is a big awards contender, I think. This is Ooh. French filmmaker Alice Diop's first narrative film about a young woman who is on trial for having murdered her infant daughter. She mm. left her on the beach and allowed the sea to take her away. Um, wow. The pregnant mov- novelist, uh, and it's also about the pregnant novelist who attends her trial and is inspired uh, to try and write a sort of modern Medea sort of update. So uh, they are, but they are bonded by the fact that they are both, or she takes an interest because they are both Senegalese by heritage and this is based on a real court case in france attended by writer director alice diop because yeah again she was pregnant with her first child at the time and she sort of Mm. gained an interest in this person of the same heritage of her who did this and wanted to understand why so it is a really compelling sort of courtroom drama with these two incredible leads uh whose names i'm absolutely going to slaughter and i'm so sorry kayaje chigami is uh, the reporter, and then the mm-hmm. uh, woman on trial is uh, Guzlagi uh, Malanga. God, that might sound garbage when I said it. Uh, <laughs> each struggle with notions of motherhood and the burdens that are placed on them, or, or demonstrably suffer with the notion of motherhood. Like, yes. you'd do, mm. do worse to, um, you'd have to try hard to uh, struggle more than the trial lady does. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the burdens placed on them by their societies, and you get a good insight into what those pressures kind of look like from the men in their lives and from the sort of parents. And it's about this kind of lineage of motherhood and what that means. Um, and it's, it is also about Medea, the sort of Greek mythical figure who murdered her children after her lover, Jason, as in of the Argonauts, oh, yes. uh, betrayed her. So it's a big attempt to sort of reevaluate Medea as a cultural figure and sort of look at what she means and, you know, why she means mm. that and what it means for women to sort of relate to her. Um, cinematically, it feels like it's taking cues from Dreyer's uh, Passion of Joan of Arc, which it has very straightforward framing. We spend a great deal of the movie just looking at um, uh, Malanga um, as she's on trial and she explains her story. Mm. You know, we spend a lot of time because that is ultimately about how um, Diop ex- experienced this. You know, she went to the trial and she sort of saw that. And to some extent, I do wish it was a bit more cinematic because I felt most mm. strongly about the film when we follow... Um, sort of uh, Jigami's character away from the court and explore her life through the lens of what we have heard in the court. Um, but yeah, potentially the story had to be told this way due to her own experience. I'm just not sure it fully represented an acceptance of the potential of narrative filmmaking over a documentary. Fair. Nevertheless, mm. it was very powerfully written. There was a lot to think about there and incredible performances. So I'm going to give mm. it four stars just because it fell okay. a little short of what you know I would... I would hope for from a film um, of the, of its type um, and its potential, but I still really enjoyed it and I look forward to seeing it again. Wonderful. Saint Omer. Saint Omer. Sounds fascinating. <sighs> and then we hung out again. We did. We did. And we went and saw my father's dragon. Yes, we did. <laughs> so The one he keeps in his back garden. He does. He keeps it back <laughs> there. He oughtn't. Yeah. No, he cats only. Yeah. This is Cartoon Saloon returning to the festival after the incredibly successful Wolf Walker, which I mm-hmm. loved and was it was my, wonderful. It was yeah. my favorite film of 2020, I think. Wolf Walker. Uh, it was yeah, it was a great just, film. And it's also the third feature film by director Nora Tuomi, who previously directed the absolutely stunning The Breadwinner, mm. um, and then before that, sort of co-directed The Secret of Kells. So it's an adaptation of a children's book by Ruth Styles Gannett. 
and Jacob uh, Jacob Tremblay voices Elmer, a young boy who is forced to leave his quaint little American town due to the depression. Uh, the shop that he runs with his mother sort of closed down, or he helps his mother to run, I should say. Isn't you know, not partner? I don't think. Um, <laughs> not quite. <laughs> you know those and sons, it's, um, Elmer yeah. and mums. Yeah. <laughs> um, he and his mother moved to New York. Uh, or is it new? It's not stated, is it? No, it's no, Blueville it's called or something. Blueville, that's it. That's yeah, that's it. Blueville. Is it Blueville? Because the dragon keeps getting or it wrong. Green, gray, Greyville. Never green. Never green. Well done. Never green is what it's called because he that's keeps calling one. it never blue or something like that. That's mm. right. So he and his mother moved to yeah, never. never it's green. New York City. It's big. It's a it's big basically dirty New York city. city. Yeah, and they experience a fair sea. amount of hardship there. And then one day he notices a cat, as it's credited, and follows mm. it off. A talking cat, um, and yeah, adventures ensue as he discovers an as he is whisked away to an island. Adventures. Mm. Yeah, fantastical adventure, and it has a fantastic cast to start with. We've got mm. as a cat Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. We also have Ian McShane, Chris O'Dowd, Judy Greer, Diane Weist, Alan Cumming, and Jackie Earl Haley as a very interesting role for him. <laughs> Who was he? He was the cowardly monkey. Oh, yes. <laughs> and he, you might know him from Rorschach from Watchmen, or mm, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> He's a yeah. That's a fun role for him to have played. Yeah. Um. And it's all it, once again with Cartoon Saloon. It's all about communication. It's all about mm. how parents and kids can't communicate their emotions well to each other, and how both need to sort of learn a lesson. And you know, Elmer he learns that lesson by having a sort of simulacra of parenthood mm. kind of thrust upon him. Um. You know, and sometimes it does maybe feel like it's aiming for the Disney mold, especially with its humor and with Gatin Matarazzo's performance as Boris the Dragon. Mm. Um, you know, it, it feels quite sort of Disney sidekick, but yeah. oh, the art, it's very kooky and yeah. irreverent. Uh, yes. But the art style is still very unique and spellbinding, yes. and the dark mm. places the film is willing to go without losing the trust of young audiences is impressive as always. Mm-hmm. And Tommy just demonstrates that she really knows how to deftly handle material like this. Um, yeah, it was just charming, really. It was. And it was a wonderful film, mm. and yeah, very visually beautiful. Visually, they're making stunningly visually. beautiful films, if nothing else. Oh, Cartoon God, Saloon. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. They're worth, just such a worth it just for that. Yeah, mm. and hand drawn. Mm. I think you know. I don't. Uh, mm. They may use some computer stuff now and then, but you can really tell it's mu- a much more expressionist kind of uh, portrayal of the things going on than you yeah. know the ultra the ultra realist sort of Pixar, which you know more yes. and more strives for incredibly natural, uncanny. I think environments. Mm. So it's just lovely to see something that is much more that will teach kids that animation can be so much more and can be so much different. Yeah, it doesn't just have to look real, you know. It can no, capture no, no. the emotion and the yeah. feel of a place. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Then we went and saw <clears throat> my favorite film that we saw together. <gasps> oh, that we saw together. Okay, yeah. do you remember yeah. Alcaraz? Alcaraz. Mm. This is Kyla si- Carla Simon's follow-up to the beautifully tender summer nineteen ninety-three. Um, another extraordinary study of life, forefronting children mm. again, um, but also striving for a more ensemble narrative this time. Um, it's a family living in Catalonia in Spain, mm-hmm. uh, speaking Catalonian, I believe. Most of the time, yeah, right. with bits of Spanish, but most of the time, yeah, it's speaking mm. Catalan, I believe. Catalan, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, and trying to prepare for the harvest. It's, um, it's, I read, I didn't, I don't think I realised at the time because I saw them like dealing with a lot of different fruit, but it's peach, isn't it? It's a peach harvest. Peaches primarily, yeah. yeah. They seem to grow a lot of different things, but peaches mm. are their main. I think their commercial yeah. crop. 
Yes, and they are trying mm. to resist the encroaching modernity in the form of the owner of the farm due to a gentleman's agreement uh, that yes. the father of the family had, which is no longer valid, uh, mm. Which and he wants to replace the peach orchard, or, orchard, orchard <laughs> yeah. uh, with um, solar panels. Yes. It's just so lived in and believable, this mm-hmm. world. You get to spend a lot of time on this farm. You learn the layout. You learn the different little bits. You learn the mm. house. You learn the family. It's non-professional actors in these roles. Oh, yeah. And they feel so authentic. And the bonds yeah. between them is so <laughs> real. Yeah. And it's a camera that manages to be intimate without being obvious. Like, there's no big sort of, here's the majestic sort of emotional shot. It's just, you know, it almost feels accidental that they're perfectly lined up you know mm. to get their scene just little moments like when the dad tells his kids to get off the tractor they're playing in the kids are great in this yes and he are. just takes them away steps away and you just see the kind of pride in his eyes about his kids and his farm and how much mm. even though he's irritated at them how much it means to him to have this family and it's just wow yeah you know, her her, com- her camera often has some objectivity but the way she centers the young and focuses on moments of characters being off guard and just sincerely themselves mm. you just really get a sense of the again kind of again similar to joyland that rural life although this is rural rather than a sort of suburban actually it's quite urban isn't it joyland <laughs> they're living kind of a oh joy joyland i think they're right in the city <laughs> they're right in the city yeah but this where is where are this they is... karachi yeah i think so yeah i think so anyway oh wait i, I... Think I mentioned when i talked it's about lahore where. they go they it's... talk about going to lahore because lahore's oh, on okay. the sea right that's where i think the director lived and that's where he discovered the um okay yeah, yeah. yeah. i think they're in set i think joyland was set in karachi right but i could be wrong okay uh, well, but this is set in the countryside of Kathmandu. very country right? yeah. yeah absolutely in, but, in the country mm-hmm. and but still you... very much in their house like you get a lot yes. of it set in their house and i think that's why the parallel between the two is this space yeah. that they all live in together absolutely yeah. and just yeah the authenticity of the experiences they have and mm. yeah it's just a life being lived and it's uh melancholic mm-hmm. because this is a For way sure. of life that you get the impression is under threat and is fading mm-hmm. away the walls are crumbling a little bit and you know mm-hmm. the the people are moving in and you know the orchard may not last forever but it's profoundly hopeful because it's all about the family and that's not going anywhere you know that's yeah. They're, they're going to remain bound to each other even as tension arises they are drawn back together yeah. and it's very funny and eccentric in it places mm, it feels yeah. very Fellini-esque and I don't ever suggest that lightly I you know I love mm. Fellini and this feels like Amacord you know and therefore like those gorgeous early sequences of the hand of God by Paolo Sorrentino which is very inspired mm. by Amacord but without either man's penchant for the perverse in that <laughs> no, um, no. this is just such a pure experience and yeah I adored it Absolutely yeah, it was fantastic. It. Um, again, just like Joy Land, every character felt real. Mm. Um, particularly, I think, helped by the fact that there was so many amateur actors. I think they said there was yeah. only one professional yes, actor but... in the whole film. Yes. Uh, and, and the she's fact just that a they, visitor. Yeah, she's been in it for a few scenes. Um, and they said the fact that they, they had everyone live together on this actual yes. farm for several months before they filmed. So <laughs> and they like, really improvised feel... scenes and came up with yeah. ideas of like interactions. Yeah. So yeah. uh, fantastically well done. And yeah, oh, the yeah. story itself is beautiful, melancholy, mm. melancholic, but also yeah. kind yeah, hopeful because the family will always... They'll always be together. They'll, and, you can see they'll love each other still. Yeah. Mm. My God. Mm. And you'd love them. If you were in that family, oh, you would yeah. fall in love with all they of them. They had their just... problems and that's what's so interesting. Yeah. You know, they had their problems, but they also, they just cared for each other so much. Yeah. And, like, uh, the sun it seems is like, like a great, yeah. 
Oh, sorry, I was just going to say the son is like the wild card. Like you don't get, you don't. Yes, you the kind teen of wonder son. like how the te- yeah him and the teen daughter. You get the impression of both of them like okay, how far? But then you get little bits of evidence of how much they care for each other. Sometimes inappropriately so. You yeah. know, just like I figured of like the son like punching the guy for dancing with the sister, and it's like okay. oh yeah, but like yeah. it's so clear like how much they mean to each yeah. other. Like when they go out shotgunning rabbits in order to leave yes. on the guy's doorstep. Like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's a great scene. It's very good. There's so many great sequences. Mm. It's yeah, and it's very beautiful. It makes you feel mm. like you're there, oh, just God. tending the trees of this orchard in Catalonia. Yeah. I could have, st- I could have stayed. You know, just mm. oh man, I love that. I love movies that make you feel like you're in a place. And again, that's Fellini kind of mm. influence there. But yeah, loved it. Yeah, beautiful film. Okay, this one is... Five stars, I'm assuming, for that. Five stars, absolutely. Obviously. Absolutely. Okay, great. Now, this one is as strong a recommend, but I will have more trouble to do so. It's not horror. Oh, it is horror, but Uh, this is very much my kind of film. It's not gory horror. Uh, Whilst doing the rounds for his 2019 Cornish drama film, Bait, Mm. Mark Jenkin heard the film described as almost being like a horror film. Which is certainly fair. It's a film with a great sense of malice and unease set within mm. its silent cinema-inspired experimentia. Um, mm. So he decided he might like to have a go at a straight horror film. And the result is Ennis Men. Mm. And I forget what that means in Cornish. It's uh, something in Ireland, I think. Um, or something rock. I forget. But anyway, mm. it's a Cornish well, horror Cornish film. Cornish is a little rusty. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> I need you to speak every language, Jen. I cannot do that. <laughs> Please, I'm trying. Please don't encourage me. I saw 40 films, so it's not so unreasonable to expect you to know everything. To learn 40 languages. (laughs) Including one spoken by five people. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, Just typing Ennis Men into Google, Mm. not knowing how to spell it, does not give me the answer. (laughs) E-N-Y-S, and then just Men. Uh Ennis Men. Wonderful sort of... I don't know, evocation quality to the title alone, I think. Mm. There's something witchery about it. it is yeah, it's a good name. Yeah. Uh, again, Any luck? I'm just... Uh... I don't know. I'll go on with the review. If you... Let me know if you... If yeah. You find but yeah, this is a Cornish horror film that sees a woman played by Mary Woodvine, who I think is just credited as The Observer or something like that, or The Volunteer is what she's described as. Ooh. And she lives alone on a small island off the coast of uh, Cornwall. And uh, she is a creature of habit. She is there to observe plants. So every day she goes out, observes the plants, takes the temperature of the soil. She drops a stone into a well. She walks home, starts up the generator. Writes her reports her report, which is usually just a single line that says no change. Um, has a chat on the radio to some people that we never see, and then retires to bed with a book. And this mm. repeats over and over again. But she is haunted by some kind of terrible incident in her past involving a young girl. Um, and a strange substance is starting to grow on the plants. And that's not the only place it's growing. Mm. And also there is this standing stone directly outside of her front door that is sinister. Yeah, stones are scary. Stones can... I didn't know how scary stones could be until this. this Have is... you not seen 2001? Oh, that's true. That's a scary stone. That's a scary stone. That's a very scary stone. And yeah, and that, there is a monolith. That was a PSA, it. that film. <laughs> Don't tell your back teach on you stones. about the scariness of stones. <laughs> the film is you set see. in 1973. If you see a stone, run. <laughs> Don't mess with stones. <laughs> are you a Don't fool, do lad? It, kids. Yeah, I'll, I'll go pick up that stone. And he was dead. 
Little Johnny thought stones were for playing with. Little Johnny didn't realise that stones are sinister. <laughs> stones are sinister. And it comes out, stones are sinister. Yeah, and that's Repetition. it. No explanation of what the actual threat yeah. is. I just love the idea that stones are sinister <laughs> and we, should, we all need to know that. <laughs> but that mindset is exactly the right one to be in because this is a 1973 film, both diegetically and stylistically. So those Ooh. old PSAs or like grainy footage, okay. slightly gravelly audio is exactly what you should be thinking for this. There is something absolutely intoxicating about the look and feel of this film, just completely absorbing the, the grainy film stock, the don't look now coloring, the audio quality, which for me evokes once, you know, old once lost nature documentaries or like early Peter Greenaway films or something. It just hits me in that exact right spot to just make me nostalgic for a time I never lived through, like a shared cinematic qual- uh, concept of the 1970s Britain. Mm. Um yeah, and the island is gorgeous and has all these secret little things that she stumbles across. Like she trips over some train tracks, which are actually like a mining car, and there's something to do with like a mining disaster there. And it's just cool. all these little things that just bespeak a history of kind of suffering and loss on this island. Um, which in a broader way is speaking to the history of Cornwall as well. And you just mm. you want to explore and uncover this disturbing past in a very Victorian ghost story fashion. You know, there's a little bit of Dickens or M. R. James here as as well as the Dennis Wheatley. Um thematically it's about grief and it's about how mm-hmm. the story of human pain is written to the landscapes we occupy and there's, you know, a causal ambiguity there as to what causes what. <laughs> um but the horror of the piece is the sense of disorientation crafted by masterly editing and a real flair for framing an unsettling shot. It's just utterly, utterly unique and I adore it. It's five stars. I love Wonderful. it. sounds fascinating Uh, again like the macedonian one the idea of horror that's tied into real old places yes and real old things it's particularly scary what's uh what's his name um ben wheatley kind of tackled it as well a bit because in the earth had this quality of like Mm. memory recorded into the stone like the stone tapes you know like Mm. history i I think that's a big feature actually of british horror is this idea that our landscape has absorbed the kind of crimes and sins Mm. of the past and is you know willing to throw it back at you you know at any moment yeah yeah i've I've been listening to a Mm. totally unrelated i've been listening Mm. to a podcast recently about British history. Mm. It's, you know, not going into super depth, but they're talking I about... I thought you were going to say, it's not going great. It's not going great. Mm, it's going very badly. It's said <laughs> stop. The podcast said don't bother. Um, <laughs> no, it's talking about the Romans' impressions of Britain mm. and about how for them it was this the end of the world. Oh, that's it was so the cool. end of the world and it was this land of monsters and magic and strange scary painted people and you're like yeah Yeah, that's that's so cool (laughs) i love that because there's a couple of films that not very good films but there's this film here within arm's reach the centurion i think which Mm. is um i think about and and there's another one the eagle uh, another bad film that's also within arm's reach and um (laughs) wonderful keep them close keep them handy (laughs) just in case you're like boom need to put this on similar to ironclad another bad movie that i have on here just in arm's reach and um yeah yeah, it's just roman impressions of britain and like you know the demon demonization of the picts as a people like Mm. a race of savages and such it's very corny but it's quite fun i like it i like the idea that yeah this is the this is the land you know but really, yeah. that that's that's the way we perceive like Iceland, you know, or um... yeah, exactly, exactly. They <laughs> the just knew this as colder it gets. 
Yeah, they just couldn't get as far as Iceland at that point. They didn't yeah. know it was there. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. They didn't get past uh, Scotland. No. No, well. Um, <laughs> quite. Mm. Um, I have an update on the pronunciation and meaning of the name oh. of the film. Oh, yes, please. Uh, it means Stone Island. Ah, oh, perfect. Yep. Which makes sense. Makes sense. Beware of stones. Yep. Uh, and a pronou- it's apparently <laughs> pronounced Ennis Main. Ennis Main. I think I knew mm. that. Yes, dang it. Okay, mm, Ennis Main is how I shall say Now we've my... both learnt some Cornish. Yeah. I've learned how to say my favourite film. <laughs> yeah. Only wasn't... another 5,000 words to go, I guess. Yay. <laughs> and then we'll be fluent. And then That's we... That's how words work. That's then how we... languages work. <laughs> I'll be one step closer to becoming uh, Mark Jenkins. Mark Jenkins' personal assistant. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I feel I think I do I feel like my career as a film critic and uh, as a film person is just gonna culminate in me attaching myself limpet like to some sort of great director and just become <laughs> like their biographer or something or you know, the Wonderful. authority on them. So yeah, Mark great. Jenkins Hold on to those coattails. Keep an eye out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ride them hard. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to become a name. <laughs> because i love you uh, sounds fascinating i'm i think oh, i'm a man. little too freaked out to watch it but i do part of me does want to I'll in that way it, that yeah. you almost made me want to watch texas chainsaw yeah. massacre <laughs> it just sounds atmospheric yeah it's got oh, this one is less overtly oppressively horrible. horrifying than texas chainsaw okay. massacre so you might fare better <laughs> okay well, um, we'll see. i've got something i think you'll like a lot though and in fact yeah, i can't wait for you to see it uh triangle of sadness Ah, yes. Or Sans Filtre in French, okay. which is a better mm. name. But uh, yeah. the Triangle of Sadness is a quite good pun referring to the section of the forehead that shows the worry lines. Your oh. Early on, he says, relax your Triangle of Sadness. <laughs> um, and then it's also, you know, like uh, evoking the Bermuda Triangle because mm. this is Models, a young model couple played by Harris Dickinson and uh, mm-hmm. Charlie Dean. Uh, who, yeah, after an extended prologue uh, establishing their relationship and the themes of the movie and a delicious argument about picking up the dinner bill and who should do that, (laughs) um, find themselves on a luxury cruise full of rich people. But disruptions occur, mistakes are made, and soon enough the wealthy and the crew alike are fighting for their lives. So Mm. this is Ruben Osland. One of the absolute just great comic directors working today. Uh, He brought his force majeure. Um, Just movies are great premises. Force majeure, the movie about a dad who, when he thinks there's going to be an avalanche, picks up his phone and runs, leaving his family behind. And then it turns out there wasn't an avalanche and he just has to deal with it. Love that. What Um, a concept. The Square as well, a movie about Clay's Bang, who is uh, running a uh, modern art museum and the various Mm. tensions associated with that. Just absolute. He's so good at coming up with these like little microcosms and uh circumstances that really interrogate like liberal attitudes and kind of um the way society works um this is a very elegant parody of social structures and the inversion uh based on the very sudden shift in social currency is very Mm. satisfying and funny to see um there are power dynamic shifts in this that elicited like whoops and applause from the film festival crowd wow very good like uh dolly dolly d leon is a role I don't want to say much about. Uh, sorry, her, she has a role that I don't want to say much about, but she is fantastic. Mm. Um, and you have these wonderful little moments of awkwardness and discomfort that are so beautifully well observed, like just moments that you're like, in that typically Scandi way of just, oh, yes, okay, I've been anxious about that, and now here it is, and it's absolute worst um, <laughs> variation, like yeah. absolute awkwardness. It's Oh, it's a treat of a film, and one I highly recommend that people experience with a big audience because yeah it, it, okay. get, it gets the room going 
There okay. is a very... Oh, gosh. Well, it's in the poster, so I guess you can talk about it. There is a lengthy vomiting sequence halfway through the film yes, that Katie was seen... unable to watch. Oh, no. <laughs> she didn't like that. Sorry, Katie. My, um... I don't know why I'm apologising. It's not my fault. No, it's my fault. <laughs> yeah, it's your fault. I apologise on my film critic's behalf. It was my birthday, and I made her watch it. <laughs> you can do what you want on your birthday. Yeah. That's fine. But it's my birthday. It's birthday rules. <laughs> um, I will take this out of my bag now because it's been in my bag since the uh, screening but you might be able to see that they gave us a Triangle of Sadness sick bag you showed me this, this yeah. is fantastic a special <laughs> branded sick bag for the film yep. open bag, vomit wow. into bag, stare at the vomit and contemplate your frustrations about class inequalities enjoy the moment and repeat as necessary in cinemas 28th of October and I'm aware I've become a shimmering light so I shall yes you have yes I have, let me see if I can fix yeah. that your screen, your camera has just turned all white. Yeah. I thought for a second you were holding the um, the <laughs> the bag just so close to the camera <laughs> that it was like, look, look at the bag, oh, the bag, it's so good. My back, it's yeah. So, we go. so yeah, back. that's Triangle of Sadness. See it with a crowd; it's great fun. Great. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds fascinating. <laughs> I do think it's an interesting image to put on the poster of someone vomiting. Yeah. Because vomiting. I'm gold quite solid well. stomach. Oh yeah, yeah. And to be honest, I didn't look that hard at the vomit. I'm going to be honest. Um, I've got a fairly uh, steady stomach for most yeah. stuff, unless it's actual gore. But all that kind of gem, I would say I'm okay. But uh, it's it's an interesting choice. It is. I want to kind of watch. What do you want to watch the film? But it gets so good. <laughs> okay. There's a sequence of like a woman. <laughs> She's in the bathroom and she's sliding back and forth in the bathroom because the boat is tilting and she's like every time she slides past the toilet she vomits into it and then keeps sliding <laughs> okay it's very, oh it's very good. funny it's in this kind of okay. slapstick horrendous way but it's also it's yeah. you know in case you're worried about that it also has a lot to say on social hierarchy so it's oh, very oh very no I, oh you know you know me i only watch a film if it's got deep meaning in it <laughs> mm. absolutely this you know zoolander number two yeah, Zool- yeah, Zoolander number two, as it was the branded. The name is a pun. Mm. That's deep. Yeah. I think it's time we talk about another movie that we saw together. The last! Yeah. Do, oh, would you give um, Triangle oh. of Sadness five stars? Definitely would. Yeah, yeah. Okay. it's end of year yeah. list territory. Uh, rodeo. 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 French film. And after this, I think we should talk about the movie you saw without me, right? Because it was just oh, the yes, one in the okay. end. Yeah, 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 I just saw one. Yeah, so let's talk about this. This is French director Lola uh, Quivorant. I don't know how you spell it. Let me see. Q U I V O. Oh dear. R O N. Quivorant. Quivorant. You can't spell things to me and expect me to. Oh yeah, I, that's not. Uh, qu- qu- that could be from anywhere. L- yeah. Sounds like a Spanish name, maybe. A quivorant. I was born in France. Uh. Oh gosh, I don't know. Quivorant. Yeah. Call it yes. Yeah, quivorant. Quivorant. In her feature film debut, brings a. Brings us a film about a hot-headed young woman, played gloriously mm. by uh, Julie Ledru in her debut mm-hmm. film. Watch out for her. She's great. Uh, who is in the habit of stealing bikes from rich people. Uh, she loves riding and she wants to be part of a tribe. I think, you know, she kind of wants to escape her home situation, which we get a, a, kind of a glimpse look at at the very beginning of the film and is not great. Mm. And she yeah, it's be... not great. They don't they don't go into detail, but it's not a great home no, life. It's clear, it's clearly very unpleasant. But she, yeah, she wants, and she thinks she finds that tribe in a band of outlaw motorcyclists who also participate in stealing bikes and racing them. Several of whom are not very happy to have her there. Um, but one of whom she establishes a close, albeit brief, bond with. 
Um, and so it's just about her sort of attempts to, yeah, uh, relate to this group because she starts getting involved in criminal activities and forms a friendship with the wife of the entirely off-screen sort of head of the group. So mm. it's a very good and incredibly assured debut feature from Quaffle oh, yeah. Um One that mixes intimate close photography, erratic moments of violence and kind of frenzied mm. moments of chaos. Uh, the serene beauty of triumph, you know, the sequences of her just riding, you know, mm. um, having in, in her often quite brief moments of triumph um yeah and freedom you know that comes with that and also some very disconcerting dream sequences as well um oh yeah so it's a visual treat it's thrilling and tense in places and it's driven by very bold photography and a powerful lead performance so it's four stars i i, I think for me just yeah. yeah i thought it was really really good i just need that extra push to get it you know somewhere yeah. else but i i really liked yeah. it i really liked it too you're really rooting for this main star who this the main character and they managed to paint her as someone who's you know mm. a bit complicated they yeah. don't ever in that very french way don't ever dig down too hard into why exactly <laughs> she is the way she is but yeah. you know she carries a kind of darkness with her yeah um but she's also got a good heart yes and she's there because she loves riding bikes and it's her yeah. you can see how much it makes her feel alive and yeah. free absolutely but and she wants you know this scene that she's involved in yeah, yeah and she wants thing. to be part of this community but she has no qualms about stealing you know yeah. if her her bike gets nicked early on <laughs> yeah so she just steals a new one from some rich she swindles a new yeah. bike out from and you know it's a bit robin hood in that they only yeah, target only, rich yeah. guys <laughs> but um yeah uh, yeah you know she's she's in with a difficult crowd and yeah but she's she's definitely she's a complicated character and i just look i just i was so nervous throughout so much of the film oh so yeah terrified something was going to happen to her yeah i loved her so much straight away yeah she's just so powerful and absolutely mm. and quiveron handles her so well in terms of the portrayal and also like these really quite ambitious moments like sequences of like the, the stealing and it culminates yeah. in this big job and this very big finale that's you yeah. know, certainly memorable and recalls like Ducor now and how mm-hmm. and how she does it. You know, it's mm. very good stuff. Yeah. yeah. And also some fantastic footage of what must be actual people who mm. participate in this kind of... Like, oh, yeah. Not joyriding, kind of joyriding bikes, but they're yeah. their own bikes. You know, like riding around... When the police come, they do all clear out pretty quick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, because they're riding dangerously and, yeah. you know, riding partying... Wild. Um, ah. down random bits of street but they yeah. have to be people who are genuinely into that because otherwise yeah. how a, you know you're not training your actors to do no. wheelies on motorbikes oh god some of the stuff <laughs> yeah it's incredible yeah, right yeah ah. really good very yeah. cool um absolutely yeah i enjoyed it yeah, yeah. i enjoyed it well what else did you enjoy did you enjoy cloud messenger I did <gasps> um gosh i have me having to talk about film i know right it's the one oh, i get don't. to be the gen Oh dear! Um, <laughs> say something witty, Paul. Oh God! Um, I didn't realize how difficult it is to be the gem. That sounds about right. That sounds about right. Uh, um, let me find out cut. some sort of novelty of the Spanish language. You go on. Yeah, you tell me something about Sanskrit. Oh God! Um, because this film is the Cloud Messenger. Uh, original title: Megdut. Uh, massacred that but um uh it's a film by i've just got the imdb up i assume this is how you do it it's yep. a film by director <laughs> rahat mahajan my tricks yeah um, and it is a first and foremost a long film i will say that it's two and a half hours long um it is mm. i will honestly it took me a good halfway through before i was truly on board with it i loved the opening sequence and then it moved wow. then the pace sort of 
The whole film is very slow and measured. Mm. It's very beautiful. So it's highly oh. stylized. It's a film about... It's funny because I think the um, the film festival program and probably all the marketing and any description of it will advertise it as a retelling of an ancient Indian myth. Right. But as the director himself pointed out, he made it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an ancient Indian myth. Yeah. You know, the, story, the beats of this story are nothing too, you know, fanciful. Mm. But he, the only inspiration, the only thing that is real is that the Cloud Messenger is a um, poem in... It's an ancient poem right. about um, two lovers, two ancient lovers who have, you know, God, you know, immortal lovers who have been separated by a king, which is, you know, it does draw on this, but they've been separated and the man is sent one where, one place and he sends a message up to the cloud and the cloud carries that message to his lover. And apparently most of the poems spent with the cloud. This is not what that film is. Right. But at one point he does, you know, invoke that. Um, it's a film about two immortal lovers and we we get the we get the tale it starts with this tale and then we get more bits of the story and the legend as it were this made up legend oh, yeah. as the film goes on <laughs> but it's about two mortal lovers and then this evil god king he has fallen in love with the woman and so he curses the man to mortality right and then we cut to 90s a 90s boarding school out in the mountains of india and these two teenagers, um, we come to find out, are the two immortal souls are in the bodies of two teenagers, not knowingly, mm. um, and they are going to fall in love. And they do, but the God King isn't done with them yet. Ah. And so it's, uh, it mixes um, traditional performances. So they have actual, you know, quite respected traditional performers in singing, dancing, um from india and he worked with them to um sort of that he wrote the songs these you know they sound like they could be ancient songs but he wrote these lyrics and songs and they perform them so it combines these striking visuals of character you know people in traditional dress and even this um guy in this full character sort of dress these fantastical elements with this very realistic boarding school mm which is a real school out oh, wow. in India. Uh, it's a like a, um, you know, like a sort of a colonial school that's now just being used as a, you know, probably a high-end boarding school. Um, and it's just, it moves very slowly, mm. which at first can be a little bit, they, they have, no one speaks quickly. Everyone's got this very measured way of speaking. And at one point we have this photography teacher who comes in and does, you know, a little bit of talking about, you know, he's sort of the uh the sort of the meta bit of the film mm. about looking at things and and talking about the myth you know some of the actual mythology you know legend mythology historical you know stories of india and you know this question of how real are they did you know hanuman actually stand on this mountain as he chased this other guy or do you just you know it's up to you to decide that mm. and it's kind of the same with this film it incorporates this legend with these two teenagers who are actually um you know facing different things yeah um and by the end i was totally on board 
Mm. I totally loved it. I was just, uh, oh, it was man. so dramatic. And I will give you this, it is so beautiful. Like the scenes are just so, there's so much shot like straight onto camera mm. as the different, um, particularly with the traditional performers. But actually throughout the whole thing, there's a lot of people looking at camera mm. and it's just striking and it oh, combines wow. these very bright elements with this kind of mundane boarding school. Um, and yeah, beautiful film amazing music um and what's the guy the director came out afterwards and he didn't see he seemed maybe 30 years old oh. and just so full of energy <laughs> i don't know he looked young anyway yeah and he apparently ended up having to do almost the whole film himself because he didn't wow. explain why but for some reason he couldn't get you know different people in different roles so he did an awful lot himself and he seems possibly maybe a little hard to work with <laughs> just only because okay. <laughs> the lead actor was also not in a bad way he's clearly was you know all right but the lead actor was uh there uh, i should say his name uh ritvik uh tiagi oh yeah uh, who played the boy in um so i'd say he was the lead um of the, and he played the boy at the school who's you know got this ancient spirit of um um who's sort of representing this ancient lover and he's opposite let me just double check it's her Hmm. when is it you had to leave again ah yeah it's opposite oh like half an hour oh okay okay. yeah i'm okay cool and he's opposite uh ahalia shetty oh yeah yeah excellent um and yeah he said at one point he because he was there at the after the film as well and he said you know the guy the director was calling me up texting me every day being like have you been doing your runs today <laughs> even before the film because he has to do a lot of running in the film and right. he made him do it all himself and i'm like oh okay <laughs> yeah that sounds unnecessary but it sounds intense it sounds intense <laughs> but they made a very good film excellent and it was certainly one of those things where you can see this guy he, mm. as he said himself the disadvantage was he had to do everything himself the mm. advantage was he could do exactly what he wanted mark jenkin is a similar and, kind of thing yeah. yeah. And it certainly is not quite like anything I've seen before. Mm. So, yes, yeah, slow moving, long film could maybe have been cut a little harder. Right. <laughs> or just have everyone speak a little faster. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's always that option. You just times yeah. to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, mm. uh, I thought it was very beautiful. Brilliant. Um, Excellent. That sounds really good. And I look forward to uh, checking that interesting. out. Interesting. I think it's certainly interesting on the critics page. So I shall try and mm. see that. It's on the uh, BFI player as one. Uh, it was one of their films you could watch online. Excellent. Yeah. Mm. Ah, well, Sanskrit has over 122 words for the action to go. <gasps> Each of its oh, own no. meaning. Oh, no. That sounds like Russian. Oh, that's a lot I didn't get words. that far in Russian. People just kept telling me about um, verbs of movement. <laughs> and I was like, nah. I found another one. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, dear. It's like to go meaning to leave my house and travel to another person's house. <laughs> to go meaning... <laughs> to leave you know. my house and travel to a, the same person's house. <laughs> exactly. It's it's go with very specific oh, meanings God. of go. <laughs> as far as I'm aware, that's how those things work. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> what, you mean you have to explain all of this in many words? It's ridiculous. English. Yeah. I would rather that. Oh. No offence, Sanskrit. I won't be adding that to my 40 films. <laughs> my 40 languages. Yeah. <laughs> I have to learn in exchange for your 40 films. Well, speaking of which, I have six. Le- how many stars do you give Cloud Messenger? Oh, interesting. Yeah. The first half I would give <laughs> maybe less than the second half. It's going to be like 3.75. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I will give it a four because cool. it was, yeah, I'm not going to say, uh, it's a lo- yeah, I'm not going to recommend it to absolutely everyone, but mm. it's certainly 
intrigued me. I thought it was something very different. Fantastic. Mm. Good stuff. Well, speaking of something a bit different, women talking. Oh, yeah. Women talking. Don't get enough of that. right. Well, they do a fair amount of shouting. Um, This is the story (laughs) about a Mennonite community, apparently in 2010, although that doesn't sound right to me. Um, Because obviously... (laughs) Is it in America? It's in America, America? but we only experience their perspective. And there's a bit where, like, the only bit of modernity we see is that a um, census taker comes. And that feels very 70s when they show up, or even 60s. So I don't don't know. Anyway, a Mennonite community in which the women are waking up bruised, sore, and and sometimes pregnant, and sometimes, you know, just massively traumatized. And they are being Mm. told that this is happening because they have sinned. Or, you know, they have done some evil or invited some evil upon them. Um, Whereas, in fact, they are being tranquilized and then assaulted in their sleep by the men of the community. And, you know, one of them is eventually discovered doing this. So... They, the story of the film then is that the women gather together in a barn whilst the men are away um, with just one man present uh, who takes minutes of the meeting. And the meeting is to discuss whether or not the community of women need to uh, do nothing, mm-hmm. stay and fight, or leave. And they hold an election and there is a division, an exact equal division between stay and fight and leave. And so they must discuss okay. it. Um yeah, so the film, this is Sarah Polly directing, mm-hmm. uh, directing her first feature since the absolutely superb doc- uh, documentary Stories We Tell, where she delved into her own family history and explored a sort of dark secret that she had there. And it's an adaptation of a novel by Miriam T- uh, Toes, I think, T-O-E-W-S, Toes, perhaps, uh, which I've mm-hmm. not read, but Katie is reading, inspired by the film. And she tells me that it is a largely diegetic sort of minute of the meeting between the women. So it's from the perspective of the male character who is writing the minutes. Mm. And most of the story is these minutes. Um, And that does show because the film is very much set within the barn and there's action that happens beyond it. But, you know, I almost could have sworn it was an adaptation of a play because it is bound Mm. to the single location right down to the bit where, you know, somebody's going to leave and it's like, wait, one more thing. And it's like, the story can't (laughs) continue outside of the set because, you know, they're off the stage at that stage. Um, so it has that kind of theatrical feel to it. And some of the characters also, to some extent, feel a bit theatric because they get kind of relegated to roles. Uh, we've got mm. Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, Jesse Buckley, Ben Wyshaw, and a little bit of Frances McDormand, mm. who's also the producer of the film. Rooney Mara is kind of the uh, angelic, sort of very forgiving one who can, you know, mm. sees, who tries to advocate for staying and forgiveness and, you know, trying to change the community. Claire Foy, meanwhile, is, you know, the very angry one who wants to militantly take action to protect her children because there is, you know, abuse of the children as well. Whereas Jessie Buckley is the kind of defeated one, but she's also, you know, carrying her own hurt and extreme anger. But she doesn't, you know, believe that they, that leaving is a practical option. So she's just this kind of, yeah, cynical figure. And then you have Mm. Ben Wyshaw as the only man. Uh, here who you know is this kind of model of like you know the man who wants to do better you know he wants to listen he wants to give the women the best chance and he's deeply sympathetic with them because he had a very close relationship with his mother um so it the whole movie is driven by these performances and they're very powerful and it's really great to see them just engage with the subject of you know how best to survive um to some extent like the more human kind of like comedy moments don't feel as natural as i would like them to 
And I know this is meant to be a kind of sepia-toned image, but they really have gone quite far with draining the colour to the fact it's almost Mm. a grayscale film or brown-scale film. Um, So they may have got a bit too far with that. Um, (laughs) So it's four stars. It's a very interesting film and one that I do Mm. think is useful to see and useful to think about now because they cover so much in the way of, like, you know, just the sexual abuse scandals that have, you know, rocked Mm. the entire world and which continue in almost every industry and every facet of our lives that it's you know very it's a very good discussion and it's a powerful work as the film puts it at the beginning of female imagination as they say Mm. so yeah it's a very good little um analog uh within this little community but yeah there were certain aspects of it that did diminish it i feel okay yeah interesting yeah i wanted to see this one yeah i thought it sounded oh yeah it's definitely worth checking out Mm. really interesting um right now we come mm-hmm. to one of my favorites. Okay. And in fact, there's quite a few favorites um, left ahead. This is the Banshees of Inishiran. Mm. Martin McDonough reunites uh, Colin with Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, the three men together for the first time since in Bruges, to tell the story of the end of a friendship. Um, Brendan Gleeson's character suddenly decides he doesn't want to be friends with Colin Farrell anymore. <laughs> he, um, yeah, he's just bored of him he's boring and he wants to focus his life on loftier pursuits than discussing sort of banalities with colin farrell Mm. and he wants to you know study his music and write a great piece of music um and they live on this tiny little island uh, off of ireland uh colin farrell with his sister who's played by kerry condon uh brendan gleason on his own with just a little dog um and it gets to the point where brendan gleason makes a rather extreme offer in or, or like threat should Mm. Colin Farrell continue to meet with him. And it's just, it's a gorgeously lyrical and incredibly funny film. You've got this fantastic cinematography from Ben Davis. There's this Carter Burwell score, which is just so lovely as always. And the assured pacing of a McDonough sort of script um, means it has this really lovely quality, even as it gets quite dark, you know, and this is during incidentally the time of the Irish civil war. And you hear like gunfire coming from the mainland and, you know, there's this sense that this is a place kind of removed from time, but where the sort of human drama is being fought still. And it's also a place of like where everything is frozen, where no progress mm. can be made. Um, and there's the frustration that comes from that. And ultimately, it's about what we all mean to each other. The unexpected importance of the bonds that we have, which might seem trivial in places, but actually have a lot of significance and the sheer kind of impact that it can have on a community, especially a, you know, a smaller community when somebody decides to try and sever one of those bonds and the cascading effect that can have. And, you know, it's about the value and importance of those social connections. It's career best performances from Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. Oh. Yeah. They're rightly wow. talking about Oscars for Gleeson. And I think that's fair enough. Um, every time McDonough one thing every time McDonough makes a film he's very funny and his movies are always very funny and this kind of this one in this very folksy kind of way um but there's always some aspect that just makes me feel a little uncomfortable and here is the story <laughs> of a character called Dominic and I won't say much but it once again just feels like he's tackling a big idea that he hasn't quite fought all the way through 
It is redeemed though by okay. Barry Kurgan. Barry Kurgan is absolutely amazing in the role and is brilliantly funny. You know, it's a character similar to Sam Rockwell's character in Seven Psychopaths. It's just a bit like, mm. okay, I don't yeah. quite know what you're getting out of this. Um, yeah. Kerry Condon is amazing, steals every scene she's in as the sister who's just so sick of them all, you know, at one point just saying, what do you mean he's boring? You're all boring! <laughs> really good. That's very good. <laughs> very good. Oh, it has just this excellent feeling of inevitability that recalls like a Greek tragedy. And indeed, the Banshees are in a sheer mm. and are sort of harking to. I don't know if it's in the Odyssey. It's the Sirens in the Odyssey. But, you know, there's okay. old folklore kind of idea of being lured to the rocks. Mm. Um, yeah, while McDonough, you know, oh, he just does it so well. All of his films have that. I remember Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri had that same sense of like hurtling towards a conclusion that can't be avoided. Like just mm. uh, a kind of farce that has a tragic payoff. Yeah. and this might be his best film just because wow. it, it's so within his ability to tell this story. And it's, yeah, just marvelous. Fantastic. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I yeah I'd like it. to see it. Yeah. Five You've really sold it. I think it's great. Great. <laughs> um, Wonderful. Right. A brief word on Inland. This is a British film, very strange and haunting from uh, Fritjof Ryder. Uh, it's a British film starring Rory Alexander with an unnerving supporting role from Mark Rylance. It's about a young man who returns home after his mother has disappeared and he reconnects with the community that he used to be a part of, tries to find work and ends up sort of engaging there. And it's it's interesting. There's a fair amount of promise, but it just didn't quite come together for me. It's It's strange in a kind of very unique way, and I'm glad to have seen it. But I am just going to mm. give it the three stars and probably not talk too much about it because it does work best because of its mystery. But yeah, it's it, it's it's something that didn't quite gel for me, which is unfortunate okay. because I was yeah very interested in it. Do you know what it was that? What... Yeah. It's just it, it just I don't know I I don't know what the thesis mm. of it was or what it was really getting okay. at. It had this kind of. Mm-hmm. Again, kind of, uh, there's something in there about like stone and st- turning to stone, but it just didn't. I don't know. Come it, together. Just, it didn't come together. It didn't grab me, and it didn't entice Fair me enough. to sort of uncover its mysteries. Ah, oh, that's perfectly fine. Unlike mm? decision to leave. Decision to leave. A new film by Park Chan Wook, director of Old Boy, <gasps> my favorite movie of all time. Yes, and what a treat. What an absolute mm-hmm. treat he has given us. It is a romantic mystery film. It's a detective played by um oh god, who's who's who? Oh, there we go. Park Park Hay Il, who uh previously mm. was in Memories of Murder, very memorably. Um, ironically. <laughs> um, very murderously. Um, he actually was, he played the murderer. Well, a suspect for the murder, so he was memorably murderous in Memories of Murder. Um now he's here as a detective who is investigating a death. A man has fallen to his death, very gruesomely so. Um, and yeah, his wife, his Chinese wife, played by Tang Wai, and apparently um, Park Chan made her Chinese just so he could hire Tang Wai um, in order to play the role. <laughs> um, but that's it actually adds a really good element of her being like alienated from the community because she does struggle mm. a little with the Korean. Um, but yeah, and yeah, she is the prime suspect. Obviously, she's the wife, but you know, she has an airtight alibi, and it's like, oh god. It's this really brilliant police procedural that is, of course, it's Park Chan-wook, so it's so stylish. Scene transitions out of, you know, that no one would ever have thought of before. And it's a detective story with these great little details that, you know, really catch you off guard. Little hints towards it. But it also has, like, oh, like the Kurosawa-style ambition to the piece. There's a bit in... um, 
Oh god, the one where Toshio Mifune loses his gun. Stray Dogs? I think it's Stray Dogs. There's a bit of basketball, um, mm. sort of... No, sorry, baseball. A baseball mm-hmm. game that's very ambitious. And this movie has that. Like, it has these little cat and mouse chase moments that are extremely ambitious and are like a knife fight on a rooftop, and it's just glorious. And, oh man, I, and it's it's a love cool. story, and it's a really intimately told one that is just told through details and ritual and, you know, little moments between the two and things that are said and become massively significant later and again this kind of tragic inevitability to it and oh man i i need to see this a few more times i think to fully get my head around it because i just loved it it's going to be south korea's entry for the oscars uh, for the academy awards and i hope it might just get there this time although my god the best foreign language picture at the academy awards is going to be a tough race this Mm -hmm. particular year (laughs) But um, oh, yeah. yeah, Decision to Leave deserves to be included because it's it's just part of that ongoing canon of absolutely stunning South Korean films that are doing really yeah. new things with familiar and accessible genres like romance and mystery. And, you know, I know mm. that Park Chan-wook is a sort of westernophile, you know, not quite specifically an anglophile, but he loves, you know, he lived in London for a long time. And, you know, his last movie was an adaptation of uh, Patricia Highsmith novel, you know, so... Mm. You know, he cl- and also a John le Carre novel. So, okay. yeah, and it, there's definitely Hitchcock in the bones here. There's, um, mm. yeah, sort of great old mystery movies. It just feels, it feels like a movie you would struggle to make in the West these days without making it like overtly a comedy or an action movie or something. It's okay. just, yeah, really great sort of big scale romantic drama. And I loved it. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to watch it. Yeah, I think we should. It came out mm-hmm. Monday, weirdly. Yep. yep. <laughs> it is out, so we should find some time for that because, yeah. my God, it is glorious. Does anyone uh, get their teeth hammered out of no. their head in this one? No. no. Not at all. Then I'll definitely watch Hooray. it. I watched I watched. You did um, watch the one with people getting their teeth well. hammered out of their heads. I did. <laughs> I just closed my eyes at the part where you warned me that the yeah. teeth would get hammered out of heads. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. The, 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 there's no vomit bag moment in this one, I don't think, so you okay. should be fine. You might have to turn Fantastic. away if you don't want the feels. <gasps> my heart hurts. I'm vomiting in my heart. <laughs> oh god! I tried to remember the opening lyric to "You Give Love a Bad Name," but it wasn't coming. Shot to the, the heart, opening lyric. and yeah. you're to blame. You give a puke to the heart. That's what <laughs> well, speaking mm. of puking out your heart, um, mm. Benicio del Toro, mm. Pinocchio. Uh-huh. Uh, Benicio del Toro? No, 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 no. He's an actor. Guillermo. Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. Yeah, William of the Bull. William of the Bull. Not what's Benicio? Do you think Benny? Robert. Benicio. It sounds to me like Benedict. Like Benedict. You know, like but like blessing or something. Okay, like yeah. a Catholic name. Yeah. Something like that. But I'm not sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Because uh, he is a blessing. God bless. You, you talk about it. God bless Benicio del Toro, who has nothing to do with Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. So, mm-hmm. um, what an absolute vindication this is for a man who has been passed around and kicked around by Hollywood, just absolutely mm. had his time wasted and every project that ever meant anything to him taken away from him to have released a Pinocchio, um, a Pinocchio movie the same year as Disney and to absolutely demolish it is <laughs> such great karma. Um, eat it disney eat it disney this is the one because this yeah this is <laughs> such a good film this is an animated movie about you know a, a, a well uh, it's about basically you start with geppetto played by david mm-hmm. bradley it's all stop motion beautiful stop motion mm-hmm. and yeah mm-hmm. geppetto loses his son in the war in the uh mm. 
Second World War, yes. A war. It, no, oh, okay. Second World War, because we're in fascist Italy as well. Oh, okay. Very crucially, we're in fascist Italy. Okay. Um, this is the world premiere, I actually saw this out, which is very exciting. Wait, you mean today? <gasps> it's set in the modern day. Oh, my God, it's yes, all come social back. commentary. Boom. <laughs> so, yes, um... So yes, uh, it's 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 that he's he's lost his son, and so he makes a new uh, boy out of wood. Um, and Jiminy Cricket, voiced by oh Sebastian J. Cricket, excuse me, um, who oh. is living inside of the tree at the time, is not very happy. Um, mm-hmm. He ends up living inside of the wooden boy, and the blue fairy emerges and grants the wish to oh, who's actually a wood sprite, I think, and voiced by Tilda Swinton, which is great, and I didn't <laughs> know that. Um, and yeah, she emerges to give um, Pinocchio life, uh, eternal life, mm. um, which is something Tilda Swinton knows something about. And quite a few places, actually. She keeps playing immortals. Anyway. <laughs> she looks like one. Yeah, she way. does, doesn't she? She looks like she could be yeah. just all of mankind. Um, yeah. It would be a pretty good representation. Anyway, um, the boy oh, comes... We do not deserve it. <laughs> the boy comes to life and is this, lo- you know, singing, passionate, but very naive and kind of destructive mm. boy. He's kind of great because he's a bit of a terror. Like, he's very <laughs> strong and he's very reckless and he doesn't understand the world and he kind of irritates uh, Geppetto um, in this charming way. The boy, uh, Pinocchio played by Gregory Mann. Um, yeah, very rowdy, as the Wikipedia mm. puts it. Um and yeah, he, just, boy. he gets himself into trouble. He gets himself into trouble with the fascists. He gets himself into trouble with um, the sort of local criminals. Uh, Christoph Waltz plays uh, Count Volpe, who is a, an amalgamation <laughs> of the fox um, who lures him away. Um, and mm. then also the guy who took him to, um, you know, that island where all the boys can do as they please. So he's a kind of combination oh, yes. character. Um, but he's there basically to just try and exploit Pinocchio. Um, Mm. yeah, and that's how the story progresses. It's just a really interesting retelling of the Pinocchio mythos, substituting out scenes, um, and making it very Del Toro, because it's all about fascism, it's about being different, it's about death! Like, Pan's Labyrinth, this is such Mm. a beautiful kids movie about death, (laughs) (laughs) in which it's okay to, it's necessary to die, you know, and Mm. life has meaning because of death, and my god that's a heavy theme for a kids film but it's just wonderful (laughs) it's so deftly handled because you're never that far away from the next song and the next reminder that the world is a beautiful and terrible place um yeah yeah and it's the the jim henson company is involved as well which also makes sense you know it's it's that most perfect of thing it's that absolutely stunningly animated movie that the whole family can enjoy and that the whole family will benefit from seeing it's cool yeah one of del toro's like best films it's just unambiguously wow. a joy All fantastic great i'd love to see it oh god yeah you'll get a chat it's coming like very soon so yeah wonderful fantastic ah oh, and that brings us down to the last one the closing wow. night gala in which um trisha tuttle mm-hmm. got her three minute um standing <laughs> ovation rightly so yeah and then they brought out a whole bunch of people. Ryan Johnson, Daniel Craig, Edward Norton, mm-hmm. Janelle Monae, mm-hmm. Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., Jessica Henrik, Madeline Klein, and Kate Hudson, and Dave Bautista were all there. Wow. Um, wow. It was a big thing <laughs> because they are here to promote Glass Onion, uh, which is mm. called Glass Onion on screen. But because um, apparently they're worried that not everybody's going to realize it's a Knives Out movie, it's Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery. It's the follow-up yeah. to Knives Out. Um, Ryan Johnson writing and directing 
Um, basically, it's a, we start with a group of people who are all invited to a... I'm getting happy just talking about it, to a private Greek <laughs> island. They get sent these little puzzle boxes that after they unlock it, okay. they get invited. And they're a very disparate bunch of characters. Let's try and have a run through. There's... Um, yeah, Catherine Hahn is a politician who's kind of corrupt and lost track of her moral base um, mm-hmm. and is just trying to like make a, a go of things. Leslie Odom Jr. is again a scientist um, who, yeah, is, is again, he's just lost his moral grounding in the pursuit of sort of his his goals. Jessica Hennick is, uh, oh no, sorry, uh, we should talk about Birdie. Kate Hudson is Birdie, a, a supermodel who's now a fashion designer who, who cannot be trusted with her own brand because she keeps accidentally <laughs> making racial slurs out of complete ignorance. Wow. What, what is it at the beginning? She's like, I'm sorry, I just didn't know that that was a word used to refer to Jewish people. I thought it just meant spendthrifts. Jewy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, Wow. Yeah, she's just like, <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, Kate Hudson at the thing said that the way that she played her is that she understands every third word. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Kate Hudson's brilliant in it. Uh, they're all brilliant. And Jessica okay. Hennick is her long-suffering assistant, who's largely there as a straight person to, um, you know, mm. just sort of react to Kate Hudson. But, you know, I love her with all of my heart, so she's more than that. Um, <laughs> she's the real star. She's the real star of everything. And then also you've got... Um, Dave Batista there is Duke, who is a YouTube star mm. and a men's right activist. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. great. Wow. He, what a role for him. Yeah, Perfect. and he said, like, he just basically played every douchebag he's ever hated. Like, yeah. it's very good. Because he seems like, it seems like Dave Batista's actually a really cool guy. Like, in real life, he seems to, like, make a point of supporting good things on the internet. Yeah. So I yeah, love the idea lovely. of him playing a role like that. Because he looks, obviously, yeah. how he looks. Yeah, he looks like a big him. guy, but he's just the loveliest man in real yeah. life and he's playing a absolute dickbag speaking of absolute dickbags they are all invited to the island by edward norton who plays you know this tech billionaire steve Jobs style kind of guy who's all like you know spirituality and kind of you know terrible things Mm. and he's invited them all there but two interlopers arrive as well janelle monet who plays andy Mm -hmm. who is yeah who used to be a partner in the business who used to be Mm -hmm. the owner but there has been some sort of falling out and yeah something bad has happened um, and so she's here to be this kind of disruptor. And Daniel Craig comes mm-hmm. as Benoit Blanc, everybody's favorite Benoit detective. Benoit Blanc. Hello, my name yeah, is my Benoit Blanc. Donut has another smaller donut. And he's still got the accent. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, someone shows up dead. And now it's the Wonderful. whole island is a crime scene. And. Oh, I love it. oh it's so good it's such a good follow-up oh, i'm so glad it's such I'm a so perfect follow-up to knives out it's funny it's exciting it's genuinely clever it's like little moments that you just can't wait to go back and explore again twists that completely change the movie you're watching um perfect. it's everything you want and it's yeah i'm so thrilled that it lives up to expectations because it is just brilliant and the cast in this one work together you know just as well as the cast of knives out um great and it's such a great sort of change of pace and setting and tone as well it's just oh man yeah love this superb absolutely love i'm it. so happy because i really enjoyed knives out yeah <laughs> i was re-watching it again last oh. night um just because i was really tired i wanted to watch something mm. i saw that it just been shown on channel four oh yeah so <laughs> i stuck it on i was just like you know what even knowing yeah. exactly what happens you know it's such a delight it's so good <laughs> you didn't say you oh. did it he said Hugh did it because you make them all call you Hugh because you're an asshole. 
and the, the like i don't want to spoil it obviously but like the way that the, the thing that ends up happening reflects the thing that happens in nice in a very in one particular very pleasing way oh, that you'll see which i okay. really like also there's cameos <laughs> all the way through this like fun little cameos from people that oh, you fun. wouldn't expect which is just yeah a bit of a delight <laughs> wonderful yeah great well what a film to end it the on. only one I'll, of which i'll spoil is just that um the guy has a um, clock on the island that announces the hour, like uh, a voice loudly announcing "dong," <laughs> and I didn't realize. I just saw that that was Joseph Gordon-Levitt <laughs> okay, <laughs> going <wow>. "dong." <laughs> what? What a role! <laughs> oh, it's such a funny film. I, I can't wait to see yeah. it again. Great! Yeah. Oh, I'd love to see it. Yeah, <sighs> and that ends possibly, with the exception of maybe 2019 the best year at the film festival i've had yeah like, ever i think mm. it's been extraordinary Fantastic. like i think yeah. i've probably got my top 10 favorite movies of the year just in here you know look out everything wow. everywhere all at once you may not hang in yeah. there like <gasps> you can't possibly I, oh i think that. it will i think it and the northman will stick in there but oh jeez, okay. it's been a good year wow. joyland alcaraz that and you know mm. nights out too and like all of these things like they've got to find a place in there banshees yeah. Oh man. Yeah. It's and it's Maine. <laughs> it's gonna be a mm. really and it's tough Maine. year. And it's Maine, excuse me. And it's Maine, we learned. I'll of never Cornish. be Mark Jenkins' assistant like this. Oh. <laughs> well Yeah. So there's a lot of good things to look out for and I hope people Fantastic. will Fantastic. Yeah. Once again, every so often the film festival is big and it's stressful, but my god does it spark my love of cinema. It just Oh yeah, it's even just dipping in and watching yeah. six films. I mean, six films is a lot. Was still a lot of films lot in the space of, of a week, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it was one week. Yeah, um, yeah, it was fantastic. All uh, six were superb. Yeah, you picked some really, really good choices. As usual, mm-hmm. you're often quite a shrewd judge with these things. <laughs> I just pick the weird things. Yeah. That I, yeah, and I'm not going to pick hor- I'm not going to pick anything too depressing. <laughs> so there yeah, we go. True. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Right. Well, yes. Thank you for that rundown, Paul. Thank that you. was fantastic. I'm glad you had such a good time and you didn't catch shingles again this year. That was my favourite part. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, thank you. You have been listening to Jen and the Film Critic, a Screen Mayhem podcast. My name is Jen Blundell. With me was my film critic, Paul Salt. Say goodbye, Paul Salt. Goodbye, Paul Salt. Well the done. Uh, <laughs> uh, this was our second part rundown of the London Film Festival 2022. I hope you got inspired and heard about some cool films that are going to come out in the cinemas soon. Um, Make sure you go out and watch them because they are fantastic. Um, Our music was by Jacob Blundell. It was. And I think that's about it. That's it, folks. Um, Keep it sleazy. That's it. Enjoy. Keep it sleazy. Take it easy. Ah, that's the way. Yeah. Yeah. We did it. We did it. You survived another year, Paul. Oh. Yay. Uh, Well done. I outlived Trisha Tuffett. <laughs> Take her shoes, run. Yes. You're the wicked witch of the West now. <laughs> <laughs>